The Million Man March. Black Lives Matter. The Women's Suffrage Parade. When the powers that be can't find the empathy to change this nation for the better, the responsibility falls on us to demonstrate against them. Today I'm announcing a new movement, a shield for one of these minority groups that is being oppressed upon by the American Empire. I am here to represent the unfit, the slothen, the body positive, or simply, the fat. If you care about fat shaming, then look into your overworked heart and join this movement. I preview today, to the American public, the Million Pound March. We will be holding this event from 5 to 7 p.m. across this entire nation every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday until fat shaming is nothing more than an ugly piece of American history. Carpenter here, Matthew Billingsley, and today we're bringing back Flirt Cheap for the second coming. Uh, we took him on here and, and badgered him for two hours about two months ago, uh, went into all sorts of different topics. We, we talked heavily before we started about how we're going to really focus on microeconomics, and then we spiraled into our uh, typical meandering state where we just went into whatever came into our heads at the moment. Uh, however, we did come out of that conversation, one, having learned quite a bit, but two, also feeling like we left a lot on the table. So we wanted to bring Flirt Cheap back again, have this conversation once more, uh, just pick his brain and just make sure there are no stones unturned. Well, it's Absolutely. good to be back. I'm glad that y'all are willing to have me, uh, you know, as crazy as I can be at times. So definitely. And I love seeing y'all's beautiful faces again. We, yeah, we really appreciate <laughs> you uh, coming back on. So for those who don't know, um, Flirt Cheap has recently started a Substack. I strongly suggest that you subscribe. Um, it is free right now. Here pretty soon it, it will be $10 a month. And I feel like you will be getting far more out of it than uh, the $10 that you give to him. However, I know that Mr. Flirt Cheap has been able to leverage a year of his life with cryptocurrency. And a lot of us look at him and say, man, he is so smart. He is like, how can I be financially sad, uh, you know, um, you know, financially savvy like that. I'm here to tell you that anything that he says is absolute bullshit. And the real reason, <laughs> the real reason that Flirt Cheap is financially independent is because he pays for Spotify with ads. That's really... <laughs> you just had to bring this one back on me, didn't you? I, ha I had to, man. That's... <laughs> oh, man. You know what I've actually really started enjoying is, um, so I've got a VPN here, and um, I, yesterday I had had it set in Asia because I was doing some stuff on crypto, and I got some of the best ads I'd ever heard in my life. So uh, from now on, I'm going to be like moving Spotify to a different continent every single night, and just to see, you know, where the ads are super paused and where the ads are like really based, you know? 
just to get an idea of like where we should be moving to. <laughs> Dude, that is really fun. I uh, I was driving home the other day during one of my uh, Cowboys games, which is the, the closest thing I hold in my life to religion these days. Uh, I was watching those Cowboys play on Sunday and I couldn't find it on the radio station. So I ended up going to YouTube and just finding like a live reaction video. And much like you're saying there, I took so much joy because I found this Washington Redskins guy. And while they were just being dismantled by the Cowboys, I just listened to him get sadder and sadder on the way home. And I think I enjoyed that more than any Cowboys broadcast I've ever listened to. It was great. <laughs> oh, man. Speaking of football, man. You know, there are some teams where you get a little bit of joy from being a fan. And I feel like the Dallas Cowboys are one of them. Like every now and then they're doing pretty hot. And like right now, the team looks great. Everything is rolling. And then there's other teams like I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan. And it's just God bless you. utter pain. It's absolute utter pain watching. What are you them. talking about? This is entertainment. That's what this is all about. And no team encompasses that concept better than your minnesota vikings they play every single team within three points they lose on it lose or win on the last play of every single game you couldn't ask for a better form of entertainment than that <laughs> it's it's the worst kind man because every now and then the team gives me hope or like one of my friends will text me and he's like hey this is how the minnesota vikings can still make the playoffs i'm like bro please yeah i've already it's just accepted you know we beat the packers that's good enough we can lose to the Lions who hadn't won a game yet. <laughs> well, you probably you could probably sympathize with this as a we just found out that flirt cheap, much like Matthew and I, unbeknownst to us until moments ago, also went to Texas Tech University. And that's the one I do because every year I tell myself, we're not going to be good at football again. It's over. <laughs> There's no reason to care about it. And then come about three weeks before the season, I go, maybe I should look into it. And I start listening to football videos on YouTube about the Texas Tech and how, you know, we have some athletes that were just three stars, but they kind of slept on these guys. There's some there's some real dudes mm -hmm. out there and they're going to turn it around. And every year I'm so fucking mad because I got hyped up thinking this is going to be the year we finally return to glory. And we just end up going six and five again, <laughs> which exactly. I don't understand, though, because at this point you have over a decade of experience of being let down by Texas well, Tech athletics. And I don't know why. And every year Logan hypes me up or he tries to get me on the bandwagon. He's like, no, sorry, I can't do something. I'm watching Tech. It's like, why? We suck. We're going to lose. Like, fan is a derivative of fanatic and fanatic is not a logical term, Matthew. <laughs> I'm sure if you dig deep enough, you'll find out it's like the Germanic uh, term for like Indian ball torture, where they put your your nuts in a vice and slowly <laughs> slowly tighten them. <laughs> oh, uh, the, man, the Proto Aryan <laughs> etymology of that term, Jesus. That, uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, that hit that hit a little too close to home. Being a tech fan, for sure. That really uh, <laughs> there's some some experiences in there. No oh, yeah, doubt. It's, a painful team to cheer for. Maybe in basketball, we're all right, but everywhere else, it's just, hey, we're not bad, but we're not good. Number one in the nation for my entire life in meat judging competitions. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, yeah, you're right about that, man. Dominate you didn't that. Have that. That whole like building just for the ag team. Them boys uh, know how to judge some meat. <laughs> <laughs> There's some girls up there that had a pretty good view on the topic as well. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, don't tell me we're going to get into Raider Rash now. <laughs> oh, man. I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to, how to shift gears after, after this. Um, we'll just pull a non sequitur, man. Let's do all right. it. <laughs> all right. Let's, uh, let's just hop into it. Okay. So one of the things like Flirt Cheap and I have been um, texting on Instagram and hashing out a few things. And one of the questions I posed to him is um, prior to World War One. 
everybody, all of the great powers kind of set up and um, they said that war was war was impossible because of the interconnectivity of trade, right? Everybody looked at it and said, well, Germany and France aren't going to go to war because Germany and France make so much money off each other. And Britain has something to say about making sure that the, the sea trade continues on. And everybody thought that the world was so interconnected that war was impossible. But alas, some, some punk shoots the Archduke in, in Serbia, and then all of a sudden, you know, the, the world is plunged into war. And so one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, do you think that in our current um, global economic interconnectivity, are we, have we reached that point to where it's far too profitable for us to go to war? Or are we fooling ourselves with the same false sense of security that uh, global powers did pre-World War I? So one thing that I would like to point out is like my first reaction to that statement is you had said, you know, Germany and France make too much money off of each other. They're not going to go to war with each other. And that is true when both sides are making money off of each other. Um, but when trade gets so imbalanced that one side has all of the goods and the other side just has all of the money, there obviously becomes like a point in time where the side who has all of the goods just has to ask themselves like, what do I need you for? What do I need your money for? And, you know, you could look at what's happening in Russia, Ukraine, Eastern Europe and Western Europe, because Western Europe right now has got like this huge issue going on where like the price of natural gas has spiked their price for electricity right now. They're paying like $150 a megawatt hour or no, 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 sorry. Uh, they're this is closer to like 200 euros a megawatt hour right now. And just as reference, you know, we're paying here in so this state in the south, we're paying the equivalent of about uh, $40 a megawatt hour. So, you know, Europe is paying like five times as much for electricity right now, and they're having huge shortages and they need natural gas and all of their natural gas comes from Russia. And, you know, in this situation, Russia has all the power. So does Belarus and a few of the other countries in Eastern Europe that are also net exporters. They have all of the power, whereas the net importers are really in a situation where they're on the back foot. And I think that's one thing that people in general haven't really realized yet is that the power doesn't lie with the consumers. It lies with the producers because the people producing these things, they can always just consume it for themselves. Um, you know, if, for instance, Russia says, OK, we're not selling natural gas to Europe anymore. What do we do with all this spare energy? Oh, no. Like, if you've ever played like Command and Conquer Generals or like Age of Empires, you never had problems when you had too many resources. That wasn't right. like a big deal. You're like, I'll just make something with them. And you were um, talking to the right room right now for Age of Empires. Of course, of course. But I, I think in general, any entity, yeah, okay. Like, let's say Russia can't export this natural gas anymore. Are they going to go through a brief recession? Yeah, probably until they figure out what to do with the natural gas. If Europe can't get the natural gas, are they going to go through? They're going to go through a prolonged recession. Where are they going to get energy from? Like, who's going to send it to them? They don't have any other sources. They'd have to turn back to coal, which they've decommissioned all of those plants. They can't turn them back on in any sort of quick succession if they wanted to. It'd be like five or six years. Um, Some very hard times for those people in between, too. Yeah, yeah, extremely hard times. And then worse, let's say they wanted to turn the coal back on, but they wanted to keep all the environmental regulations in place it would take them even longer to get those up. You know, people always admire countries like China because they're like, look at how quick China built this hospital. It's like, yeah, okay. Um, they didn't follow any of the regulations for cement. They didn't let that cure. The building's going to collapse in on itself in like fucking nine years. 
But yeah, sure, they built it like that. And, you know, people are like, look at look how cheap they're making things in China. And it's like, yeah, but you go to China, you can't breathe. Like you go outside, you, you don't see the right. sun, sunrise or the sunset. It's just a perpetual like gray cloud of smog. People die 15 years earlier with respiratory issues, but energy is cheap. And, you know, it's kind of like there's this trade-off going on where these, uh, and okay, I might've gone off topic here a bit. No, no, um, you're fine. <laughs> well, I, I did want to bring it back to like really what we're talking about, like, Trade does not necessitate peace. Um, balanced trade does. So if both sides are producing, both sides are consuming at relatively equal rates, I think that's where peace comes from. And I'd be very curious to look back in the past and look at charts of the trade balance and see if you know trade imbalances happen to coincide with the starts of large wars. I would suspect the answer to that is yes. But I, I've never I would looked. think so. Yeah. I, I mean, would even say that states kind of exacerbate that. It's usually the prerequisite to war is that you begin to embargo the goods coming from another country before you ever uh, become a hot war. Yeah, that's definitely been true in the past. And uh, I think that's one tactic that entities often use when they feel like they have a lot of allies on the global stage, um, which is something that we do very often whenever we want to pressure a country into doing something. And realistically, doing something like that is an act of war. It's killing people in a different manner. You know, there's people who have died in Iran from just malnutrition just because like, hey, there's a trade embargo, or especially in Iraq, this was going on. Um, you know, there's also issues like countries like Cuba, it's a horrible communist dictatorship, and maybe less so now. But still, you know, on top of that, we've got like a trade embargo. So there's certain things they want, they can't get. And some of that is life or death. You know, I was uh, talking about this earlier and uh, I'll bring it up here again. Let's say you own a farm and someone comes in, steals one of your cows. Um, if you have 200 cows and it's summertime, you're probably not sitting there like, ah, this is gonna kill me. This is gonna make or break me. But let's say it's the end of fall, it's wintertime. You've got two cows and you know it's just enough to feed your family and someone steals one. That's a, you could consider that like a, an act of aggression that could be met with absolute murder whatever um but someone right. stealing you're threatening the the well-being of my family anytime you're doing that it's, it's the same thing as you know why would you shoot somebody that broke into your house and try to kill them why wouldn't you try to shoot them in the leg i've, I've had that conversation <laughs> with one of my liberal friends and it's like because i don't know what they're capable of i don't know the the amount of damage they're going to do to my family i don't know what their intent is so i am going to make sure that there is zero percent chance that anything is going to go wrong in this situation and if that means this guy has to die that i've never met that's not a price i'm even thinking about when it comes to my family yeah, now, exactly. now i also think it's it's way more feasible to be like you really think i'm going to take the time to aim for that guy's leg <laughs> i'm going to point that thing center you're right it's just that uh, a function because i don't know how i'm going to react when somebody is charging at me in my own home but i'm going to guess that i don't have the wherewithal to be like oh let me shoot this person in the leg and let's hash this out later, you know? I'm, I'm gonna guess that I'm, I'm gonna be pretty stressed because I've never been in that situation. That is, uh, and I'm just gonna point center mass and really hope that they stop moving when I'm done pulling the trigger. That was, I think, the, the way I had to start to frame that conversation with this person who had said this to me was, well, first of all, you have to understand, it's not really easy to shoot somebody in the leg. You've, yeah. you've clearly never handled a gun, but it's actually hard to hit a target with a gun. You gotta and, be you know, pretty good. None of us have ever practiced shooting at legs. Like when I go to the gun range, they don't have like a target that's just two legs. <laughs> no, it's all center mass in the head. <laughs> yeah, I've, yeah, I've practiced. I've practiced shooting the dick a couple times on those, but uh, <laughs> the legs. 
Yeah, I won't lie, man. If you're going through a lot of ammo and eventually you chew through the middle of the target, you're like, all right, where do I aim now? And eventually you've got the whole thing just gone, which is, I miss I miss 2019 is really what I'm saying as far as ammo <laughs> Oh, God bless those two. Yeah, I don't the good old ever, days. I don't think I've gone to the range with uh, more than 100 rounds in a long time now. Never, uh, now because you can't, about, because it's so, it's so freaking expensive. To go shoot exactly. more than 100 rounds. I mean, you're spending anywhere from 70 to $110, depending on what caliber you're shooting right there. There used to be a lot of guys that would go to the shooting range to, to get rid of all that sexual repression so they didn't spend all that money at the strip club. Now it's kind of an mm-hmm. even kill. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You might go to the strip club just to save a few dollars. Bring it back just to wrap it up here. So, you know, an embargo is an act of war in a lot of different senses. And we've kind of gotten away with it because, you know, we've got the UN, we've got NATO. And so, you know, we'll use it to bully a nation and they don't feel like they can really do anything back when in in the real sense, you know, we are actually, you know, taking an act of war against them. And I think that's why in the past you often see that like a lot of wars are precluded by embargoes because it is an act of war. How can someone sit back and say like, no, this is fine. My people should just starve here. I don't right. have any right to attack that. Yeah, Yemen being the example that always pops into my mind when you think of that, where yeah. like, yeah, we're, we yeah. just have a trade embargo with their ports. It's like, yeah, but there's also a cholera outbreak and they're having children die in the tens of thousands from yeah. a medication that's sitting in their port right now that you're not allowing in. Yeah, Yemen's probably the worst offender right now because like on the one side, Saudi Arabia is harassing them on their land border. And then, you know, we've got this trade embargo on their sea borders. I don't know if anyone's allowed to fly in or not, but, you know, the amount of people who died over there, it's... Imagine you're going to be pretty ballsy pilot to take a plane into that airspace right now. Oh, for real, man. But it's it's approaching seven figures as far as like a death count goes. And for the most part, like every issue here in the U.S., nobody seems to give a shit. It just kind of nobody happens. cares. Yeah, exactly. You know, all this death, destruction, and carnage is rot. And for the most part, everyone here is just kind of like, you know, whatever, it's fine. You know, but Rittenhouse, man, he shouldn't have killed the. Yeah. <laughs> That's another great example of it. We did that episode uh, with public hanging for pedophiles. We're like, why is it that we hear all this about Kyle Rittenhouse, but you never hear a goddamn thing about Gisley Maxwell, who's also on trial right now? That that has barely touched the news. It's blowing my mind that no one seems to care that much about it. Like, they're just kind of like, whatever, just kind of like Epstein's pal, I guess. It's like, yeah, she procured probably thousands of children for him. How many of those children have disappeared? And everyone's just kind of like, whatever. It's because the children don't have names and they don't have like a media campaign about like who they are and what's happened to them. You know, they're on the, I don't think they go on milk cartons anymore, but they're, they're somewhere where no one sees them. And it's, it's just a tragedy, man. Yeah. I miss that on milk cartons. We should bring that back. (laughs) Bring it back. (laughs) Okay. That's, that's, I'm continuing on that conversation. So when we look at, uh, let's shift now to the East, and that, that always kind of bugs me, though, because Americans have adopted European-style um, language, right? So when we say the West, we always refer to, like, Europe, even though the West to America is China, um, uh-huh. and the East is is Europe, but Americans have just adopted that. So let's just shift focus to the Well, I don't East. know if you guys have, have seen the maps or not, but it's actually all north because antarctica is actually an ice wall around the flat surface of the earth oh, of course so that's of course, yeah. Man. <laughs> fair yeah 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 that, that, that's fine that's that's totally fair um so so looking at the so you're talking about trade imbalances right um 
America mm-hmm. definitely is at a trade imbalance with China. And I'm curious on your thoughts of like, as Taiwan starts to kind of heat up, because I keep my eye on that. I mean, sometimes I go down the rabbit hole of like, what even beaches, if China was to invade Taiwan, what beaches would they use? Would they do like an all out invasion mm-hmm. of the island? Or would they just kind of, you know, segment it to a couple of beaches and hope to break out? You know, it's like, sometimes I, I dig way too deep into that. But um, I guess when I posed that original question, I was more thinking about the American-Sino relationship versus like Russia and Ukraine, even though that that's a great example because Russia does have Western Europe by its balls um, with the natural gas supply. But what are your thoughts on like the American-Sino trade relationships? And do you think that it is imbalanced enough that a hot war could be possible? Uh, I mean, a hot war is always possible, but it's kind of a weird situation because China wants as much control over their populace as possible. And they want as few of the populace really in control of a lot of spending power, a lot of production, a lot of productive capacity. So it's in their best interest to basically export everything they make. The last thing they want is to have like a, a, a strong middle class that's buying all the goods they're making and is having an increasing quality of life and whatnot. I mean, they want that, but only for like the top 5%, you know, only 1% of the population is a member of the party. So really, if you're a member of the party or if you're closely related to them, those are the only people they want really having a good time in China for the most part. Well, that's so not they, how communism works, right? I thought everybody was in charge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And, you know, it's even fa- more fascinating to get into like China's actual political structure. I think they just used the word communism because it was easy for them to tell us. But like internally, I think it's just kind of like an extension of, you know, the, the heavenly mandate of the, you know, the three kingdoms era, like the past 6,000 years of Chinese history. It's always just like whoever's in charge has heaven's mandate. And that's who we that's who we follow for the most part. And, you know, you're kind of a, a serf or you're a lord underneath them. And you know, I never really thought about that until you said that just now. But that's an interesting point. I mean, this is a nation that predates all these terms we're using to describe them. So mm-hmm. <laughs> how applicable are they? Yeah. And if you look at the way the nation's structured right now, it's not really structured like Western communism. Like, yeah, Mao went to school in France, I think, and uh, learned about communism there. But when he brought it back, he definitely didn't bring back communism. And yeah, I know I sound like like a lefty now. Like, this isn't real communism. It's not real communism. <laughs> <laughs> But like, obviously, is it? it isn't. It's, you know, it's pure fascism for the most part from our perspective. And from their perspective, it's just, you know, uh, there's another asshole sitting in the divine right. For the yeah. Most part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. And um, so, you know, would there be a hot war between the two of us? Um, you know, China, obviously, they want Taiwan. And the easiest way for them to take it would be the same way they took Hong Kong. You know, just have a fraudulent election, get your people in charge and then have them pass a law that, you know, essentially puts China in charge, uh, you know, de facto, even if it's not de jure. And I think that's really what China needs to be doing here, because, you know, on top of it, they're having some horrible issues internally um, with their markets. Um, They're having issues with their power markets. Um, They recently had to get rid of uh, a price ceiling they had on the price of electricity um, just to allow electricity prices to go up because the price of coal was getting too high in the country. And all the coal plants couldn't sell electricity at the below the price ceiling and make money. So all they did was they're like, they just turned the plants off instead of, you know, producing at a loss, which that's what anyone is going to do in that situation. You know, whether you're a capitalist or not, we all understand human nature and no one's going to do anything for free unless they're fucking crazy. 
especially not in China. That's like a good way to end up in a camp in all honesty. Um, and so with their price of production rising significantly, they've had to significantly cut or decrease a lot of their exports to us. Um, and a lot of people haven't really figured it out and they won't for a while, um, but like basically all fertilizer exports from China for next year's growing season, they're not coming out to here. Um, and they're really not coming out to the rest of the world either. So there's definitely a significant gap in that sort of production. And then in you know, raw metals, you know, aluminum, steel, copper, um, a lot of industrial metals, uh, that production fell off a cliff over the summer as well. And you know, on top of that, China's military fleet, it's as polite as possible, it's ass. Um, it's just complete ass. They, 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 put, they put out things, especially to advertise like how you know, strong their military fleet is, but it's embarrassing if you really think about it. Like they converted a cruise ship into like a uh, armored uh, vehicle carrier. And they're like, look at this, it's disguised as a cruise ship. And it's like, no, they just don't have, they don't have an actual carrier. Like the, disguising it as a cruise ship does nothing they for that. Uh, they, they don't discuss it a lot in, in Western militaries, but uh, a water slide is actually a very quick way to get from the upper deck to the, the vehicle. <laughs> <down there>, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, we need to make sure that Carnival Cruise doesn't hear about this. They're competing with our Navy, aren't they? <laughs> They walk into the Pentagon and it's like, I have a proposition for you guys. <laughs> like the Disney Cruise Line. I wish I could do a Mickey Mouse interpretation right now. <laughs> it's also, it's already uh, moving in the right direction with our military wants to go in anyway, uh, in the more inclusive zone, because all these slides are built for fat pieces of shit already. So you just go right down them. <laughs> Yeah, you just have some guy like patting the top of it, like this can handle a 600 pound torpedo. We battle tested it with our plastic. <laughs> Look at this, some, that American slide down it. <laughs> some 18 year old trying to pay for college, just aiming the end of that slide towards the cannon he's loading. <laughs> Sending show one. Oh man. But you know, it's, it's interesting. Cause like, obviously there's the one half of it where it's like, okay, if your cruise ship looks exactly like your armored personnel carriers, then there is obviously some questions that might pop up from Taiwan's like uh, missile defense on the corner. Like, do we shoot at the cruise ship? But then there's the other side of it. Like if you do shoot at the cruise ship, it has no capability to defend itself whatsoever. And so yeah, China benefits from the fact that I'm pretty sure you can see Taiwan from the coast of China. It's probably not a long sail. Um, obviously you couldn't send a cruise ship to like Midway or Guam or Hawaii like that. You would get rocked, but maybe they can sneak across to Taiwan, but will they? I don't know. Um, yeah. if it, if it does happen, do y'all think that Joe Biden and the U S armed forces would actually escalate to an armed conflict to defend Taiwan? I would not foresee that myself. I think that, uh, we maybe like to shake the spear a little bit, but I think that the, our government, especially the people who are involved in increasing our debt and selling off our money, uh, they understand the exact amount of money we owe to China. And I, th I think that <clears throat> a lot of times I've even had somebody make the argument before that that is why America has such a strong military is because we have such a massive debt. And that if that gets called in, the only way to really prevent it from being a, a big situation for yourself is to kind of go, hey, we're going to let the military deal with it to this point. So you guys go fuck yourself. You know, that's something people bring up, and it's, it's really actually ironic in some sense. We have watered down how much China's, uh, China is owed by us by just simply printing. Um, th there was a point in like 2008 where like China owned like 10% of our debt. 
Um, they haven't, we haven't really paid back much of it, but now they owe, I think it's closer to, uh, let's do the math here, like two and a half percent. Simply because the debt has gone up so much. So much. Yep. Yep. <laughs> the amount is the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in, in general, for the most part, like a lot of foreign governments that used to buy a lot of our debt have been decreasing the amount of debt that they've been buying. Which um, makes sense. I mean, that's a, it's a relatively smart move. Yeah, yeah, of course. And, you know, there was a point when, like, if a country owned, like, one trillion of our debt, that's a, that's a fuck ton. That's a lot of it. Now we're we're knocking on 30 trillion right now. And most of those people who are holding one trillion in 2008, they're still holding one trillion now. And it's just one of those things where, you know, it's getting watered down and, you know, their control over our debt isn't, like, as big of a deal. But ironically, this means that, like, most Americans' retirement accounts are now, like, fully exposed to this instead. Uh, whereas uh, foreign governments are a lot less exposed to it. So, you know, we're the ones who are really going to take it on the chin if the U.S. government would ever default, which they never will, of course. Because they'll just why... raise the price. I, I always liked that, um, that, that this newest video where Joe Biden's like, America always pays its debts. That, I'm going to fast track this bill to raise our debt ceiling. It's like, okay, cool. I, I'm glad that that's paying our debts. And it, it's one of those things, it makes me wish I could get away with people that I owed money to, you know, it's like loans that I have to repay or, or it's like, hey, you want to do the service for me? Cool. I'll pay you two grand for it. I'd love if I could just be like, oh, I'll just raise my debt ceiling with you. Right. We're just going to let that interest just keep on rolling. Fantastic. <laughs> if I could operate that way, but nope, nope, nope. Yep. And then there's the probably could. You too. just have to get that security force like America has around you first. And like, you yeah. can call it a dead end, but I might uh, find weapons of mass destruction in your yard and have to send my private security force over. And I don't have that type of arsenal. <laughs> yeah, it is an interesting point, you know, because we've got these treasury notes that we tell people are worth a certain amount of money. And the only way they can like really get them back is if they come like kicking down our door and shooting all of us and no one wants to do that so they've all just kind of agreed through their own cowardice that our treasury bills are worth a certain amount of- <laughs> <laughs> this is worth money <laughs> you want to go in there i don't want to i am <laughs> also open to trade talks if anybody wants to take on some american debt we could probably <laughs> trade for some assets if you had any not saying it's a bad investment just saying we're trying to get rid of it for you know team cohesion over here valuable treasury notes here don't you want to buy them <laughs> don't you? you know and, something that you had said about china disguising um cruise ships it makes me wonder if um as that becomes widespread knowledge right uh if there's going to be one of those oops moments because um what was it 2014 right it was kind of a bad year for malaysian airlines right they lost they lost that one out in the ocean but then the other malaysian airline got shot down over ukraine and something that was never really talked about that I don't understand why, because I feel like this is a very important piece of the conversation that was going on at the start of that, or maybe it was 2015, but regardless of the year, though, something that was going on that was a really important piece of the conversation that all Western uh, news outlets were just completely ignoring is that Ukraine had been sucking up under commercial airliners to hide in their radar shadows. So essentially what was happening is that as a commercial airliner went over Ukraine, the Ukrainian Air Force would scramble jets, right? And they would suck up under these airliners. So they would be, so they'd be flying in the essentially the same radar shadow as this commercial mm. cruiser. And so, and there was, and there was, there was this moment where, where the Russian, the quote unquote Russian tank battalions and armored uh, columns 
we're just getting wrecked by by the Air Force, even though they have <laughs> really good capabilities to defend themselves from anti-aircraft, um, especially jets, right? I mean, they have and commercial strong. flights are bombing them. <laughs> and so and so, but that's kind of what it looks like, right? So if you're somebody who's operating one of these surface to air missile systems, you look at the radar and you can see. As you're, you know, it's like, I imagine that they're using some sort of version of like flight tracker that I have access to, which shows you it's like, okay, well, this is a commercial flight going from Finland to India. Okay, right. And so, but what was happening is that the Ukrainian army was just, or the Air Force was just sucking jets up under those things and flying in the radar shadows until they got into a strikeable uh, distance to the targets. And then all of a sudden they would break off and now they're far too close. And now, now these Russian operators are like, Holy shit. Oh, you know, and they're scrambling to try to shoot these planes down, but they're, Mm. but it's happening so, so quickly. And allegedly, because I don't know this for a fact, but allegedly the Russian government had put out, statements saying like, do not do this because the next time this happens, we're going to shoot down that commercial airliner. I don't know if that's like true or not. I've heard the rumors about it, but apparently that's what the Malaysian airline um, disaster essentially was. It was that lesson. It was that, that warning shot across the bow saying like, oh, if you don't think that we're serious about shooting down every single commercial airliner that flies over Ukraine, we just blew 300 souls out of the sky. Do you, you think you really think that we're above doing it to the next one? And so that was the the reason I bring that up. It's like if if China is disguising cruise ships as armored personnel carriers, you know, and that tends and if if the conflict in the east starts to heat up, at what point does some unfortunate souls on the wrong cruise ship, you know? Catch a catch yeah. a missile from Taiwan and be like, hey, we told you guys stop sending your cruise ships over here. And they're like, I promise we're just cruise ships. They're like, bullshit. And then, you know, next thing we know, we read about 1,200 civilians dead in the in the Taiwan Strait. Basically, what you're saying is if you're going to book a cruise, maybe South America for the next 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, why not? And don't Alaska's fly over Ukraine. <laughs> you know, don't fly over Ukraine, Russia. They did just kind of like drop that out of the news, right? Like this was a whole ass commercial plane that just got shot down and there wasn't really much discussion about it. There wasn't much conversation. No one was really like, how could you guys have done this? It, they just kind of let it like slip on by. And And how long did we spend like watching footage of the ocean? They're like, we think the airline might wash up anywhere along these lines. (laughs) Like, no, it's that motherfucker got shot down and y'all know it. (laughs) Yeah. It's 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 really just nutty, and you know it's it's interesting because the way the media tends to just have control over a lot of narratives in, like the mainstream sense, you know, if they tell you it's there, it's there. If they don't, it's not. And there's this kind of like almost it's like you're at a, a magic show, and it's extremely obvious how the magician's doing tricks, and you're watching it like, no 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 guys, look over there, look there's a there's an elevator, and everyone's like, whoa look. The assistant he, over here. Did you see that? You see that? <laughs> he had he had this the pigeon so in his hot. mouth the entire time. Yeah, it, it kind of feels like that in like a lot of ways. And also, it also feels dumb because if you ever try to like explain a magic trick to someone, they're like, I know, dumbass. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so it's like I'm sitting here and you know, you have this conversation, you're like they're printing all the money, guys. We're gonna run out of food. And they're like, Yeah, we know. Anyways, you see what the Kardashians were up to? <laughs> <laughs> It's like everybody knows and nobody cares. Like, uh, I get that, but the Vikings look pretty good this season. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, alluded, <laughs> you alluded to it a little bit already. 
Um, but I was kind of wondering what's your view on on China's. I you know we we seem to have two views on it in this country. One, they're either this terrible power that's coming to take over if you're part of the the warring right wing of this country, or they have been hearing a lot of they're like, hey, they're yeah, or man, left wing these days. Um, but I've been hearing a lot that they're kind of this paper tiger that they really put on a big front. They've got a lot of, of assets. They're doing moves, especially in Africa. Uh, I don't know if you saw them reclaim the Uganda International Airport uh, a couple uh, months ago. I but... hear about that. What happened? <laughs> yeah. So it's part of their program where America, they kind of do the opposite of us. Instead of finding mm-hmm. a reason to invade, they find a reason to invest in your country. And they bring all this amazing infrastructure uh, with it kind of being a predatory situation where they know they're going to reclaim it someday when you can't repay it. Uh, so they apparently have one international airport in Uganda uh, that was built by China. They defaulted on payments and China now owns the only international airport in Uganda. Damn. I got to imagine the fees for using that are probably <laughs> probably making China feel pretty happy about that. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, but, but what is your take on that? Being you're, you're a little more economically savvy than Matthew or I, um, how do you see China? Obviously, they have their own issues within, but they have certainly vaulted their overall economic ship quite a bit over the last couple of decades uh, with the overall takeover of their quote unquote communist party. It's tough because it's kind of like um, imagine there's two people in two homes across the street from each other and both homes are on fire and each person is in their home and they've got a gun pointed at the front door of the other person's house and whoever is forced out of their house first gets shot and dies. <laughs> Um, that's kind of how I see China and America. Like China has some horrible financial issues going on. Um, you know, obviously people are watching the default of Evergrande, but now like several other mortgage companies over there have defaulted and this is going to like spiral out into their broader economy. And, you know, I was talking about the issues they're having where, um, you know, they weren't able to produce electricity at the price ceiling they've set. And even now it's still not set quite right. They've, they have a price ceiling for people who live in homes for electricity where you can't pay above a certain price. And they're just shifting all of those costs to manufacturing. So manufacturers have no price ceiling for electricity and residential people do have a price ceiling. And so the cost of their production is going up significantly. They're running into shortages. They're having these huge defaults. They're having to destroy all these empty buildings. And like the people who live there, a lot of their, you know, the way to invest in China to get any sort of like way out is through real estate, but their real estate has all been a sham. You know, they've got the ghost cities, the ghost buildings, the ghost blocks just you know half completed and you go to some of their investments and you go look at them and like they've just finished the outside concrete skeleton and they've sold the entire the entire home to people as if there's like a luxury modern apartment in there and you know all of this is slowly collapsing in their face right now and on the other hand we've got us here in the u.s where it's you know this huge inflationary crisis where we're just printing the money to spend because we're too dumb to save or make enough money ourselves and both of us are kind of like pointing guns to each other in these burning houses. Like, come on, he's got to come out. He can't last much longer in there. <laughs> I don't know who's going to win. No Emma, it, it reminds me a lot of the Cold War and us and the Soviets. And that Essentially, we were like on the brink of a hot war, waiting on the other one to make the wrong move. And then all of a sudden, somebody's economy collapses and you go, see, we were right all along. And then we just start <laughs> yeah. printing money like mad, doing exactly what they were doing. And you're like, guys, don't fall for the same fucking trick. Yeah, it's really kind of a repeat in a lot of different ways. Uh, the only thing I'll say is that China's sphere of influence is very different than Russia's sphere of influence. Yes. Because, um, you know, Russia, of course, was installing people who had similar ideologies around them, uh, around into other countries and using them as kind of, I, w- I don't want to say puppets because we do the exact same shit. And I don't call our countries puppets either. 
Um, and China, as you said, it's more of just kind of like predatory lending and just extracting resources from people. There doesn't seem to be much of like an establishment of like, like China's not building a missile base in Uganda. Um, you know, they're not building- That we uh, know of. Mm, solid point, <laughs> solid point, man. <laughs> you know, like they, they're building an unprofitable port on purpose in Sri Lanka, just so Sri Lanka will, you know, default on the debt and China can claim more resources. <laughs> You know, like the mathematics for the port, like it's it's hilarious. Sri Lanka was approaching the IMF for a loan to build a port. And the IMF is dumb as a box of rocks. But the IMF was like, this isn't going to make any money. We can't give you the loan. And they were right, of course. And then China's like, we got you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> like, Perfect. Yeah, yeah, they built the they built the port and it's on the wrong side of the island. There's two sides of the island and all the trade comes to the south side. But there's already a port down there on the south side. And Sri Lanka wanted another one. So now they've got one that doesn't have any trade volume coming to it. And I think it's already defaulted, but if it hasn't, it's about to. And China's going to come in and just grab some more stuff. You know, it's it's very like um, resource heavy extraction and less so of like, you know, pushing their ideology everywhere. Like, I don't think we're going to get like another North Korea because of China, um, but we did get a North Korea because of Russia. Um, mm. And also, I forgot where I was going with this. Um, I've been up since like 3 a.m. I, <laughs> I, I totally <laughs> well, forgot. If well, there God was a bless point, you, you could, for being here. <laughs> I think no, you pretty no, much got right. to it. I mean, the question was pretty much like how, how much faith do you have in the, the Chinese economy? And uh, you said about as much as America, essentially. So not at all. We're at zero faith. Is <laughs> yeah, yeah. Feeling bad about it. The, the interesting thing, too, is like a lot of China's banking is kind of like shadow banking. It's off the books. You can't see it. I suspect that their debt to GDP ratio is way worse than ours. And we're at like 120%, something like that. that or this isn't good. Is, yeah, it's completely unsustainable. There's no way it works out. Like it's impossible to pay off mathematically with the way it's set up. There's zero way out. Like it's very clear. And, you know, China benefits from the fact that like their statistics are mostly fake and hidden. So, you know, things look all right from the outside. But realistically, mm, no idea, man. Yeah. I wonder if that's part of the issue we run into. I kind of had that thought about uh, what you said earlier about retaking areas like Taiwan for China, where if you have that veil of democracy, if you give people the, hey, you guys voted on this, it's not our fault that they sold you out right after you voted on it, it was kind of your choice. You, you get this buy-in from the people that you might not necessarily get. Um, I wonder how much of that kind of adds to this illiteracy where if you had a, an oligarchical system in America or a monarchical system- Which we do. Or one person, well, you know, more. We do have an oligarchy, but <laughs> just a, go a on. straight up oligarchy, mm -hmm. you know, an obvious one. I guess what I'm trying to say. We do. Go <laughs> on. <laughs> uh, Give me that it. shovel. Uh, <laughs> 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 at least they would have to address these ideas of economic sustainability, because if they don't, then it's going to go down the river. Whereas when you have a democratic system like we have, it's all about re-election. It's all about the next four years, and you have this completely illiterate group of, of people underneath that are voting for it who just do not understand the basics of economics and can't see that at all. And they're like, well, we should, uh, we're in debt, $30 trillion. And they're like, we need universal health care tomorrow. The government should pay for all of this. Mm -hmm. Why are we doing that? And it, I, I just wonder how much of that plays into it. And if uh, you like us, we're, we're not big fans of democracy over here and against the mob podcast because we think that's kind of the problem with it is yeah, you can't name, expect right? all these people. Right. Yeah. It's uh, you're being ruled by a, a whole bunch of people who have a less than hundred IQ. So how does, how's that going to go for you? Uh, but I wonder how much that exacerbates the situation. And with that, when you have these larger macroeconomic forces that are leading us towards despair, 
but they're never going to seemingly get addressed inside of a democratic system because nobody wants to tackle that and tell you that, well, you're going to have to to eat a little bit less for the next 10 years for us to get this shit back on track. Well, on the China side of that question, I'll say that I have no idea what the sentiment on the ground is in like Taiwan or Hong Kong. Um, I would guess from the amount of protests that we saw in Hong Kong after the elections that there was some sense of, hey, this was a fake election. We didn't actually vote for this. But I don't know. I don't know how much like apathy there is over there or what they're even what they were allowed to talk about before China came in because they had a freer Internet than the rest of China did as far as their communications and their ability to communicate like they couldn't be jailed for things they said like people in China can and I imagine that whatever the actual situation was in Hong Kong is what would be repeated in Taiwan if they were able to fake another election now as far as like how things are happening here um (laughs) it's, it's almost disappointing you know it feels like you know people in Hong Kong are a lot more plugged in than people are over here in terms of like politics and getting a picture of like what they really need and want. Cause one thing that's like really frustrating in politics is you go look at the debates they're having and you know, there isn't a single politician who's like, hey guys, there might be a food shortage next year. That's a serious conversation. I'd love to have that. There's no one saying like, hey, the rate of spending is completely unsustainable and we're gonna have to do something. Otherwise, like we might have to stop putting electricity into the schools or something. Like, I, I don't know, like something would break. No one's having that conversation. Instead, it's just kind of like, like you're saying, like, hey, we need universal health care. We're not going to prove to you that it works or create a working model that we just need it. Bill Manchin um, sucks. Yeah, yeah. Or it's like we need the Build Back Better plan. You can't read it until we pass it. We're, you're not allowed to see what's we in there. We have to pass the bill. So I think, uh, I think that... <laughs> I don't think that Biden gets enough credit for build back better. I think he just didn't complete the sentence. It was build back better, the Taliban, because they've never been stronger. They're doing great. <laughs> yeah, honestly. And it's going to sound sad, but more power to them. I'm glad that I don't have to care about them anymore. It's it's a sad place to be. I'd hate to be living in that. Right. Yeah. Cross your fingers, actually. We might, <laughs> Let's have, hope uh, we stay out of that shit again. Right. The war on terror too. electric boogaloo. It's coming. <laughs> coming but, soon to a theater near you. <laughs> oh man but um i I forgot what i was talking about there was the point i wanted to make and it just fell out of my hands like wet butter sorry we're really bad i want to match you today (laughs) oh that's right i i I would love to see like an actual debate between politicians like the ruling class here where the only things they were talking about were like serious issues you know if someone said like hey bread is you know, 17% more expensive, people who are living paycheck to paycheck are now like negative cash flowing. You know, if inflation, even if inflation at 3%, you know, that's negative cash flow for people who are like paycheck to paycheck. And you know, we're not at 3%. They claim we're at 6.8. Realistically, <laughs> it's probably 30%. You know, I think it's something like 52% of Americans are paycheck to paycheck. Um, and if you look at the cost of just food, energy, and housing, and you look at like the government statistics on inflation there. Um, we already hit the point in June or July of this year where anyone who is paycheck to paycheck last year is negative based on government statistics for just food, energy and housing. If they're making the average income, which is somewhere around like fifty two thousand dollars a year, like just the a lot of people there. aren't even making that, you know, and exactly. that's the and that's the thing, too, that I think that really does blow my mind on this particular topic is that. 
I mean, by no means, right? I don't get to retire next year. I don't get to retire in five years. But when the price of food goes up in the grocery store, I bitch, right? Oh, my pack of bacon is now $14 instead of 10. I bitch as I go buy my pack of bacon, right? You know, it's like, we're, mm-hmm. we're in like, uh, like the, the meat subscriptions that I'm on, like butcher box says, Hey, we're going to, we're going to raise our price $10. And it's like, ah, I have to pay $160 now. Ah, but I don't cancel it. Right. I, I complain, but it doesn't, it's, it's not a deal breaker, but I think for a lot of, and I think the thing that so many people don't understand is that as this goes up, right, as gas goes up, as the as the food, as the cost of food goes up, there's a lot of people that have to start making very, very tough decisions. Do I put $20 in my tank this week or do I put 10 and hope that the $10, hope that the $10 in my tank actually lasts me through the week so that I can spend an extra $10 now on these food commodities so I can feed my family, right? It's, it's one of those things, it's, 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 I'm not saying that it's all it's all gravy trained out here in New Mexico, you know, it's like it's hard all around. But at the same time, there's there's this real divide between people that can absorb this short term hit and those that can't. And I think that it it blows it, it. It frustrates me, too, because what what they're perpetrating is absolutely evil. Right. By by printing all this money and and sending the American economy into this inflationary period that we're in. It's, it's outright evil that you would do this to people by your policies. And I know that so many people will defend the Fed where it's like, oh, well, how will we get money if it, didn't, if it wasn't for the Federal Reserve? And thank God that they're there to control inflation. I hear so many bad faith arguments and stupid comments throughout the day. But it's really telling, though, that... So many people are completely unaware of the suffering of the other half of the country, which I think is a very dangerous place. And this leads into like a broader situation, something that you and I were talking about on Instagram several weeks ago. You know, if you look back in history, it's desperation that actually is the tipping point. Like if you were to take if you were to take the the pot that you need for a revolution, right? We have all of the right things. We have we have a government spending out of control, right? You can look at France. Why did the French Revolution happen? They, they went bankrupt fighting the British in America. You know, you can look at the Russian Revolution. Why? They were bankrupt fighting the First World War, right? You have all of these, the, the Mexican Revolution, the Spanish are bankrupt trying to keep control, right? It's, a, it's all of this money being spent by the government, first and foremost. Then you can move on to the people themselves feel like there's a lack of representation, inside their government. And then you have all of these other little qualifying factors that go into the pot. But what really the match is though, what really sparks that is when your average person can no longer afford food for their kids, that that now going to work and working 40, 50, 60 hours a week is not enough to keep the lights on, the internet on, food on the table for their kids, you know, it's like, and that's what I'm really afraid of is that this desperate is that all of this desperation that's being conjured up by these economic factors, right? We have these macro macroeconomic factors, they're leading themselves to these microeconomic decisions. And these microeconomic decisions are pushing people towards desperation. And I think that's a very scary place to be. 
Most definitely. And I think one way that people need to understand it is it's a kind of vampiric generational warfare. Because hmm. let's say if you own a home, you've already got like a sufficiently uh, funded 401k, uh, you've got uh, significant assets ahead of 2020, it rolled in and you're like, wow, okay, you know, food and gas are expensive, but I'm up like, I don't know, 80% on my portfolio and I'm getting crazy offers on my home. You're not really feeling it in the same way that someone who's like, I've just graduated from college, I'm in debt. And, you know, no one really was willing to hire me because I didn't have any experience and there was a lockdown. So I, you know, how are you supposed to go job hunting during a fucking lockdown? No one's at the office. Like no one's at my office. My office is like empty almost all the time. You know, I got my first job out of college because I kept going to offices and just harassing people until someone's like, fine, we'll give you an interview. Jeez, you know, <laughs> and that option isn't open. To, it wasn't open to anyone last year. And, you know, they're coming out with debt and they're trying to fund themselves. A lot of jobs are just not quite there. A lot of income is not quite there. And they're, they're not on that asset ladder. You know, inflation, it hurts them way harder than everyone else. And, you know, the worst part is the central banks have these narratives where they're like, well, we want to make sure that inflation averages 2% over 10 years. That way it feels kind of the same for everyone. And it's like, no, it doesn't, you dumb. Okay, I'll cuss. Dumb fucking bitch. You got to... Someone who is already in the economy when you start making this measure is going to benefit significantly compared to someone who's joining the economy at the end of it. And it's like playing this, uh, zombies on uh, Call of Duty. And like every year of American government, we inflate the dollar more, making the level of the game harder. So it's like if you're a millennial born today, you kind of started at like level 25 with no guts. Good luck. Jump uh, in there okay. and see how it I goes. Yeah, that's exactly how it is. That's and a really good analogy. Wow. That hit. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't played zombies since um, World at War, um, COG 5, I guess. So I almost forgot what it was like, man, but you're, you're bringing me back. Somebody's an adult, doesn't have time for video games. <laughs> no, we <laughs> just graduated because Call of Duty sucks, and we can yeah, all dude, agree with I that. just play different games. Come on, man. Yeah, come on They've now, been making Logan. The same come on now, Logan. Game I didn't mean to offend years. anybody. <laughs> all right, I'm sure we're Wait, Are we talking about Call of Duty, or are we talking about all of the EA sports games now? Oh, yeah, that's another one. They make the same fucking game for 15 years straight. And they're like, we have the license for this. Like EA much, much like Texas Tech football. Every other year I get excited and buy a goddamn copy of Madden. And I'm so upset at myself every time. It's a mistake, man. It's a mistake. <laughs> it's a waste. Like, EA like sports is a... three weeks into it. I'm de deleting it off my console and cussing about how shitty the gameplay still is. How do they make a game worse? All you have to do is copy the code. Yeah. How does that you happen? know that that is mind blowing how they've managed to make it every single year. They could have zero employees and just like pump out the same game with like slightly upgraded graphics. Maybe have like ten people doing it, and nobody would notice, and people would be happier. Yep, they'd be yeah. literally happier. Yeah, but, they're actively making it worse. At least yeah. they have like three hours worth of non-gameplay story mode that you have to listen to before you get to play now, which I think Ugh. really enriches every game, especially Ugh. one that doesn't have a good story. It's <laughs> But, you know, I feel like a lot of the AAA game companies are kind of representative representative of just governments in general. You know, they've got a monopoly on a market. They never make anything new or interesting that anyone wants. They're never taking any risks. They're just making the same shit and they're breaking it every single year. Um, you know, I, I love video games. Video games are cool. But like the last time I got excited about a video game was like Cyberpunk 2077. And that game... It was almost there, and they just, again, they just stuck a big, fat, meaty dick in it and ruined it. If they um, would have just let Keanu Reeves show his dick on there, <laughs> like everybody wanted. 
right right people wanted a gone girl scene but they didn't get one <laughs> which um I, I know we're getting off topic here but that that scene really threw me for a loop i was like why is ben affleck's dick on the movie <laughs> um but anyways we didn't we want you guys about? to think that all of his success was due to just his acting acumen and his money there's some, some other driving forces <laughs> right right <laughs> You think J-Lo came back seven times just because I'm a good actor? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, I heard they're hanging out again, too. But I don't want us to go into, like, gossip and whatever. What were we just talking about before we – uh? oh, that's right, the generational vampiric warfare that's being kind of engendered here. Um, you know, when you talked about people who just aren't seeing this issue because it's not affecting them, uh, it's this kind of – I don't want to call it a boomer mentality because it's not just boomers, but it's oh, just it's this – there is like an inherent selfishness that I think a lot of people have, where if they aren't directly experiencing an issue, they have no conception of it or how it could be a big deal or why they should care. Even if you pointed out to them, it's like, hey, look, the country was on fire for like five months last year. That might have something to do with some of the policies you'll have going on. And like people live in these cities where like, the whole thing is like burning down because of this shit. And like, mm, actually, it's because of racist. Yeah, nice exactly. Like, this, <laughs> nice country, try, lived hard. <laughs> country is too racist. It's not because we're we're stealing from the 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 generation who's just trying to come out of college right now. You know, it's not a coincidence that like most of the writers you see are like young people. There was this video I saw of this guy. He kicked someone in the head while he was down, already unconscious, and like they were, they finally arrested one of them. And you know, one guy was like nineteen. And the other one was like 15. And so they couldn't release his identity. It was like, yeah, okay. It makes sense that people that age are out doing this, you know, and people don't really put the two and two together of like, you have to be a responsible steward of all the generations below you. If you want them to give a shit about your economy and to participate, uh, if you want them to just burn things down, then yeah. Do what you know, you're doing. Money. Right. Yeah. And it's kind of back to that desperation thing we were talking about. And we used to have this equation. We did an episode on revolt here on this podcast and we have there's like two different elements that you need and it's one that you don't have a belief that you're represented by your government the second one's desperation and the more i've thought about that i'm like you know if you if you don't have bread on the table you probably don't think the government's doing a good job so i'm not even sure it's a two-point mm -hmm. equation it's really just man if my family's hungry somebody's got to fucking pay for it and whoever's in charge is going to be the person that gets the brunt of that i actually agree with your initial proposition that it is a two-point structure um, you know, there is this interesting phenomenon that happened in Mexico that I've always been like really fascinated by. It was the, the I'm going to mispronounce this, the Tlatelolco Massacre. It happened in the 1960s. Oh, that was actually Mexico. perfect pronunciation. <laughs> shut, the, <laughs> shut the hell up. You don't know, Logan. <laughs> yeah, no, it was definitely. I took a few years of Spanish in middle school, so I definitely, <laughs> definitely nailed that. Fluent. <laughs> <laughs> but the the mexican government was hosting the olympics and there were a lot of revol revolutions and riots that were occurring actually i'll say it differently there were a lot of student level protests and youth protests because they wanted more representation in government and the mexican government wanted instead to show a good face for the international community so they were constantly trying to force these protesters out of public squares out of spaces arresting them, cracking down on them, just giving them like a hard time. And it kind of resulted, not kind of, it resulted in a horrible massacre where like 300 people were shot. Um, there were a bunch of student protesters in the Tlata local plaza in Mexico City. Um, they were protesting for, you know, some of them were socialists, fine, you know, people that age, that's kind of what they have, but they wanted more representation out of government. 
And um, there were a few protesters who were armed, but they didn't really start any of the conflict. And every single protest, there's always armed protesters. You, someone's going to bring a gun. This is the way it goes. Coward but the mouse. Mexican, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a good example of it. Like how many other people had guns there? A fuck ton. Right. But the Mexican army showed up and they were like, they had set up in all of the rooms of the buildings surrounding this plaza and they just started shooting and they shot all of these people. They shot, they shot 300 of them and then they arrested a fuck ton of them and they basically sent them off to black sites. And they ended up being tortured for like 10 years. And then the government was like, yeah, we'll just let them go. And it was a couple thousand people. And so there's the people who got arrested and there's people who were like cracked down upon and all these different protests were dealing with this kind of government that they felt didn't represent them. And where did these people all go when they were released in the 70s? Take a guess. Cuba. No, no, inside of Mexico. I'll give you one more guess. Mm. Sinaloa. Cartel? The yep. Sinaloa cartel? Ah. They went to all of the drug cartels. That's where they went. And, you know, you look at how the drug cartels function right now. They are outside of the state. They are their own entities. They have their own laws. Um, they have their own ways of enforcing things. Most of them are, like, horribly vicious and violent. Uh, they have their own economies. They are completely separate from the Mexican government. Like as far as Mexico is concerned, it is um, a failed state in my mind, in the sense that the Mexican federal government only has control over certain areas of the country. And yes. other areas of the country are just completely controlled by these people who felt they had no representation in the political system. And, you know, they obviously weren't the big players in the cartel. But when that infusion happened in the cartels, the way they operated changed. And I think a lot of that had to do with the sense of not having any sort of political representation. Like, if you feel that there's no political solutions to your problems, yeah, pick up. You seek a political solutions. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And, and I guess that makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you're, if we're advocates of that on this show. That that's all the government really is is a mob. You're paying protection money. That's what tax money really is. We had infrastructure. We had uh, militias. We had everything in this country that we currently have before the taxes came in before they were permanently instated. So what we're really paying is a, a protection tax. So if you feel like your government is spitting in your face with your protection money, why not pay your protection money to somebody that might actually do something about it? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the cartels themselves, probably a net negative for Mexico. I don't know. I'm not there. I'm just guessing based on like, you know, videos and things I see. Um, but, you know, that's ultimately the end goal, not the end goal. That's like the end um consequence of negative government. If you have a government that is this inefficient and this violent and this authoritarian, it's going to create that. And, you know, I, I'm an anarchist or minarchist, but really, like, if we had like a good government, you think I'd care about any of this shit? I, I'd just be like, oh, cool, they're solving problems, whatever. Let me go back right. to my life, you know? Yep. Um, and I, I've I think, had that exact same thought before that like, hey, if, if it was running at 100% capacity and really taking care of our lives, I probably would never have even heard of libertarian ideas. Hell, I've never I'd give thought it about 50%. this stuff. Even if it's earning a 50% efficiency, it's like, I, th I don't know if I would be on this liberty train, you know? Yeah, seriously. And it's something to think about because, you know, a lot of people who are revolutionaries in other countries, they have lives they would have lived if their government had been more functional, if their lives had been easier, if they hadn't had massive problems ongoing, you know, if their friends weren't getting shot at at like a young age and they're seeing death and destruction around them, who knows, maybe they'd be like an engineer or a carpenter or they would just like sell fish or something. I, I don't know what people do, 
but instead, you know, the we're peasants. living in this. Right. <laughs> I, never, I, don't, I don't know what the peasants do with their lives. It's, there's definitely something about that, though. I mean, all, all the great stories of these people who rose up and took on the empire were, you know, the William Wallace's of the world or the the uh, Catherine the Grey, whoever it is that came over and overtook the power. Uh, it usually is coming from a place where they were like, oh, they were a lowly farmer or their family was abducted and raped by this nobleman. And it, it comes from these areas because those are the people that are oppressed by it. The military are in cahoots with it most of the time. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, a lot of people who ended up in the cartels in the 60s and 70s, most of them were just kind of like either farmers or students. Mm-hmm. They weren't really anyone horrible to begin with. And they just kind of ended up on these paths that took them to these horrible places. And I wonder how many people in the U.S. right now are on similar paths. Like you think about the January 6th thing that happened. These people are just being held in prison with no real representation, not really any charges. It's mostly kind of like a witch hunt for the most part. I mean, should there be a charge for criminal trespassing? Probably, I guess. I don't know. But it shouldn't be this like indefinite detention, torture, um, refused medical treatment. Like who are these people going to be when they come out? Are they going to come out and say, like, I hope I can get a job as a delivery driver again? Or I'm a changed say, man, reformed yeah. by the system. Exactly. They're going to come out and say, like, this is an illegitimate government that has no place and I hold no respect for it. Where's the nearest fucking AK and black flag? I'm, I'm out. And who can blame them? Who can really yeah. blame them? Yeah, it's that math of insurgency in the same way that we're around the world spreading freedom, but we're killing women and children along the way most of the the products of those family aren't going to come out of it with the image of like, we should have listened to America. We, they had it right the whole time. They're going to come out going, America ruined my whole fucking life. America's yeah, exactly. the devil. And, you know, there's that whole meme that like the, uh, the migrants coming are like doctors, lawyers, engineers. But like the real question is like, how many people over there would have been doctors, lawyers, and engineers, but instead we're like Raytheon and Northrop Grumman need a bonus this year. Let's just turn those people into ash, red mist, and broken families, dismembered people. And we'll walk away with our like extra $30,000 so I can buy my wife a Lexus ES. Like that's what we turn that into. Just Mm. fucking nothing useful. Like it'd be one thing if we beat like a fucking, sorry, if we built a Coliseum or some sort of like massive megalithic structure that's gonna like span the test of time and aliens will come here a thousand years from now and they built this with the blood of their enemies. Even then it'd be immoral, but at least it would be something. Instead, these people, they have no imagination. They just, they buy like a a mid-level Mercedes Benz and they think they've made it and it's painful. Like that's what you're gonna turn these people into. Give them some dignity at least. That is a really funny way to look wow. at it. I didn't even thought about that, but you're totally right. Wow. The materialism of our society, it, it just gets churned into more stuff that's going to be worthless in 20 years. Yeah, it's painful, man. It's painful. Like at least Getty over there in LA, he built a fucking um, Roman, um, what the fuck? I, I can't remember the word. Like I said, I've been up for a while. Uh, <laughs> a Roman villa on the, on the coastline of LA. And it's probably going to be there for like another 100, 200 years because all the walls are like one foot thick. Uh, you know, at least there was something, and he wasn't such a bad guy. But anyway, should be I, fine I'm... as long as there aren't any galls in the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Demogorians. <laughs> I think. Oh, I think. No, you, you know some really. You had a lot of really powerful things in in what you said, and I think that that is this is one thing that really does it's hard to conceptualize right when when we talk about this type of inflation this type of death this type of destruction 
it becomes so large. And I mean, I'm a big fan of giving credit where credit is due, right? I, I appreciate Marx when he says under no circumstances should the proletariat forfeit their firearms and under, you know, and it should be frustrated with force if necessary, right? A lot of conservatives know that quote, but they have no idea that Karl Marx says it. I think Karl Marx is absolutely trash. However, let's give him credit for that one statement. I'm also, I also think that we have to toss Stalin a, um, a little kudos here where he says one death is a tragedy, a million is a statistic. And when we start talking about like, okay, millions of people are being reduced into poverty, millions of people are being are, are dying in Yemen from cholera outbreaks and preventable diseases. A million people are in, are dead in Iraq because of American foreign policy, right? It becomes so so large and so mind-numbing that most people just you know, tend to tend to shut shut it off and shut it out. And I think that that's a I think that's a reasonable coping mechanism. I don't blame anybody who looks at the state of the world today and says, you know what, I'm often out. I don't care. I'm going to turn off the news. I think that's fair. I don't have any sort of criticism for them because I think that's a reasonable response. But the problem is, though, is that when you have so many people turn a blind eye to the plight of their neighbors, you get these really bad things that happen where maybe if somebody would just give a damn, the world would be a little better. And, you know, it's like now I'm just like throwing out kudos to everybody. One of my favorite lines, and it's so cheesy, is at the end of the Lorax. You know, it's like unless somebody cares, unless somebody like you cares um, a lot, it's not going to get better. It's just not, you know, and I think that it's like it's so cheesy, but at the same time, it, it's powerful because, it seems, though, that the liberty community is one of the few people here who are fighting now for everybody's rights, including those that advocate against us, right? I mean, you can look at Chicago and all of these big shithole liberal cities that have been ruled by Democrats for 40 plus years. They have all of these vax mandates going on. And now you have these, quote unquote, reasonable center politicians or a talking heads, better yet, who who once upon a time were, you know, moderate mainstream um, narrative uh, spewers, but now they're the Now they're all on board. It's like, yeah, if you don't get vaccinated, you shouldn't have a job. You shouldn't be able to participate in polite society. No, you shouldn't be able to go to a gym or go to a restaurant. Oh, fuck a grocery store. You should have got vaccinated. And it, it's crazy though. And I think that this radical shift has come because so many people just don't care. We all look at it, right? It's like, okay, so Raytheon made how many extra billion dollars this year? Have millions of dollars because they vaporized some people in the pink mist. We all shrug our shoulders and go, huh? Eh, Donald Trump tweets mean. I don't like that. I don't. I don't like. I don't like the or- orange man bad. You know, like Trump derangement syndrome takes over us. Or on the flip side too, it's like J- Joe Biden's not the legitimate president of the United States, and, and we get all of this this weird poppycock. Where it's like, or maybe you should care that there's a central bank that's inflating your dollar so much that where your neighbor, the person that you know, the person that you love, the person that you interact with is now struggling. Yeah, they love yeah. the conversation about what my side thinks versus what your side thinks. But the real atrocities and the worst things that are driving us most quickly into despair seem to be the things that both sides agree on in the political spectrum. And that's what we should really be focused on or where are the things that, oh, the last 18 presidents outspent the one predating them and they all inflated our dollar more and more. Uh, anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Go ahead, Flirt. 
No, no, it's, it's definitely a good point. And, you know, it's something I've thought about a lot over the last few years, because I, you know, if you were to ask me this question in like 2018 or something, when things seemed better, but like, I still obviously really cared a lot. My thought was like, I just need to get some fuck you money. And then once I get fuck you money, I can start saying <laughs> fuck you to people. And you know what? That's actually not the truth at all. Um, you know, the truth has really been that the only people who are really free are the people who are willing to say fuck you at every given moment, at any given moment, who are willing to be like completely honest with themselves and with the people around them, even if it's going to come at a great cost to them. And, uh, you, know, you know, coming to that realization and realizing that, like, if I can't say fuck you with a thousand dollars, I'm also not going to say fuck you with a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand or a million, you know. Um, and so that's something when we start talking about, like, the selfishness and the myopia of a lot of people. They seem to just have this feeling of, well, it's not happening to me. I'll just kind of go along with it and make sure that my life is going to be good. You know, there's this focus on, like, what does next week look like for me? And there's a lot less of a focus what does five years from now look like for me? What yeah, is 10 years? It, yeah, it's it's very short-sighted, right? It's very short-sighted. I think that you said something that was very powerful on Instagram several weeks ago. It's like, if you think that 2022 is going to be better, it's not. And we're in for a very hard decade. And I look at, you know, I got my, I got my degree in history. And so I'm, I'm glued to the past. And I know that sometimes that can blind me to the present. Um, and we're not really in like, you know, as I'm not even a historian, but as somebody who has a passion about history, we're not the best at looking forward. You know, um, we kind of have our, we, we're kind of fixated on the rearview mirror, but at the same time, there's been enough examples of what happens when all of these situations culminate together. And it's not good. You know, it's not good. And to, and for people to say like, oh, well, all we just need to do is get the, the country back to, we need 80% uh, vaccination so we can get herd immunity to go back to normal. Anybody who says go back to normal, I tell them, shut the fuck up. Like, the <laughs> world is never going back to normal. The world that you knew in January of 2020 will never come back. So please like bury that grieve over it if you have to, right? Treat it like a relative that you've lost and put it in the ground. And yeah, it's get time for all it. of us to accept that when Donald Trump became the president of the United States, that was when the simulation started allowing mods and they started fucking with us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, we have to mod this back into, into correction. And, but it's, I, would I, oh, dang it. I lost my train of thought. <laughs> No, it's, it's fair. I, I can kind of pick up on it because there's also this kind of concept of, uh, you know, the inherent selfishness to presume that, you know, there is an order to go back to, that you don't have to grieve, that the world doesn't change under you, that you can always go back to this like place that you remember in your past. There's this nostalgia people have for their lives and they're constantly trying to get back to where they were. And very few people are ever like looking forward into the future and just saying, all right, the past is done. I had a nice time. What is coming next? You know, when you talked about grieving things, you know, I had all sorts of plans to like travel to like Asia, Africa, Eastern Europe, all these things. I have grieved every single one of them. I have accepted that I'm probably never going to leave the country except to go to like maybe Central America and Brazil. I think those are the few places they're allowing us in. And when I say us, don't give I mean, up on your dream just yet. I'm sure someday you'll get over there to Asia and get to try some pangolin. <laughs> yeah, I would love to start COVID too, right? 
<laughs> you thought the first one was too much fun, huh? Get ready for the second one. Yeah, yeah. Leave yeah. soon to a theater near you. <laughs> but there's even like the closer things. Like uh, I've grieved the fact that like I'm never gonna get to just enjoy California again. Never gonna get to enjoy New York, Massachusetts, probably other states. I'm sure Colorado is getting close. Uh, a lot of other places in New England. I had like a checklist of all the states in the U.S. I was only 14 away to go into all 50 of them, thanks to getting travel for work over my last few jobs. But also, again, you know, I've agreed that I'm never going to get to do that. And like, it's not like a thing like, oh, boohoo, this guy doesn't get to try. It's more of just kind of like, life has been good. I've had a good life. And now it's ultimately time for me to choose my own ethics over everything else, over any sort of like, you know, traveling, fun. I mean, I've said it on Instagram before, I had to turn down a really, really nice job offer for a lot of money. Um, the kind of money that I would punch myself over even just like two or three years ago. Uh, just because they had a vax mandate and it was 100% remote. Like they wanted me to work here in this room alone by myself. And they're like, you got to get vaccinated for that. <laughs> it's just like, it's nonsense, but it is the world. And this is the world we live in. And it's really important for me to say, no, fuck you, even though I don't have fuck you money. Even though the job could have easily gotten me to fuck you money within just like, a, I don't know, a year or two. But in that year or two, I would have sold my soul. And yeah. I wouldn't be the same person at the end of that year or two. Um, regardless of what the money got me, there's a lot that it would have taken for me. There's and... a price to everything, including money. And I think that that's one thing that I had to learn the hard way is that everybody talks about, oh, well, it's really nice to make six figures but um, or six figures plus, right? But come that comes with a price. Mm-hmm. And the and the price oftentimes is is far outweighs the benefits. To, you know, it's like I never derived joy from looking at my bank account and seeing money in it. Not once have I ever been just like, oh, yes, I'm so happy. <laughs> There's numbers in this bank. Not once have I ever done that. As a, as I'm like battling this super dark bout of depression, which I'm you know because I'm selling my soul in a job that I have no business participate you know and it's like i i feel you on that one and i only bring that up to say like good on you for making that choice because i thought like oh let me just get that fuck you money it's fine i'll be the same person at the Mm -hmm. end of two years nope you're not i think a lot of it too comes back to that incentive argument that that equation we're talking about where you know almost everybody in america feels like they're not being represented at this point by the government but when you have that option of man it's crazy they're they're mandating vaccines they're forcing people to put something in their body if they don't want to i don't want to do that but this is something that's going to secure me and, and my children potentially a generation worth of my family uh you're a pretty young guy obviously i'm assuming you don't have any kids but i don't know if you even want to disclose that on the podcast but uh, I, I wonder how much of that plays into to make all the like, kids because you know? he fucks <laughs> that's hard <laughs> He is from Texas Tech. So. Are we going back to the Raider Rash again? <laughs> I'll show you yours if you show me mine. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to fit on the camera. I've only got 10. Sorry <laughs> 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 about the rash. It's all over my body. It's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but but I, I do, I understand where people come from with that because it is, uh, like we said, we as three young men with no kids. It's very a little bit easier for us to stand up here and be like, these are my principles. I'm not wavering from that because it could ruin my life, certainly. But it's not ruining three children that I made with my balls lives as well. And that's a that's a hard toll to, to put on yourself to be like, I am going to stand up for my principles now by 
giving up on this position by losing my job because I've refused to get a mandate and not having food on the table for my kids. So there's, there's always that, uh, that difficulty in those nuanced conversations of ethics where, you know, ethically it's correct politically standing for me to do this, but it might be more ethically standing for me to do this thing for my family to make sure my kids are secure. Uh, so I don't know where to even bounce that off to, but I thought I wanted to throw that out there for some reason. No, it's fair. It is a good point because it's tough to balance. And, you know, there's this concept of you can never win a fight unless you've already decided to accept the loss, you know, because if you're trying to avoid losing, you're never going to win. And, you know, for someone who's got kids and a family, the loss that they have to accept is a lot greater in a lot of different senses, because there's a lot of lives that would get ruined by that. Whereas, you know, the loss that I would have to accept is like, I don't know. I mean, things would have to go like really bad for me. Um, you know, I'd probably end up like living out of my car at some point or harassing my mom, like, mom, please give me my old room back. And that's a burden on her. <laughs> and that burden on her goes to like other people around her. But it's very different than it's like I'm dragging my six year old around in the backseat of my 1998 Ford because we have nowhere else to stay. And, you know, that's that's a level of loss that I don't know how to accept that or how to grieve that prematurely. And for the men and women that are able to do that, um, absolutely, my hat's off to you. I think it's imperative that people do that. I just don't know how. And I don't know how to give them advice for how to do that either, because I am not a father, never been one. So, uh, you know, I can't say too much about the issue. I've never felt it. Allegedly not a father. Ah, yeah, right. <laughs> as long as I don't show my face back in Lubbock, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think there's there's some tridelt out there that's put on forty pounds since you knew her. Uh, geez, no, it'd, be like, it'd be an eighty pie. Come on, man, I'm not that good. <laughs> he has standards, thinking, uh, okay. As much as I. <laughs> Much as I despise a lot of the Greek community, I always did like the uh, the Tridelt official saying that was a uh, Tridelt everyone else has. <laughs> Maybe that wasn't accepted by the national chapter, but I heard a lot of girls say that while I was there. Man, you're bringing back some memories, man. Definitely, collo- <laughs> definitely colloquial saying around, around campus. Yeah, most definitely, man. Most definitely. But, you know, it is interesting the amount of sacrifice that we have to ask for people to make. Because, you know, earlier I was talking about this generational vampirism where it's just like, again, I don't want to say it's older people. It's people who have established themselves who are just unwilling to just put a halt on things, unwilling to, like, live less of a life just to avoid living off of someone else. And, you know, there's a level of sacrifice they could make, too. And it would have been easier. It would have definitely been easier at that point if someone said, like, Hey, I know I have kids to feed, but, you know, let's cut back on some of the spending. Let's cut back on some of the programs. I'll donate food or I'll come work at the the schools just to make sure that we've got this or that. And there were people absolutely older than us who have sacrificed in those ways, but they unfortunately were outnumbered. And I think a country that's unwilling to sacrifice for its young is only going to go to one place and that's the grave with no one to replace them. Mm -hmm. And you know, we're getting to a point now where the level of sacrifice we're asked for is greater than the one that was asked by the generation before us. And the ones before us, they failed. You know, even if a portion of them did the right thing and succeeded, overall, they failed. And us, our generation, I actually suspect that we will fail on average as well, regardless of what I do or anyone else does. On average, I think we will fail. And 
ultimately, I think that's a good thing because the entire country can't be saved. I think small parts of it can. And as the people who are doing the right thing start to congregate in very specific areas because they're forced to, we're gonna end up seeing this large discrepancy in outcomes in the country between one half of the country where people say like, I don't, I can't afford to raise kids. I, there's nothing here, crime is horrible. And then the other half where like maybe they can, but they've sacrificed in all sorts of other ways. And I think that's ultimately what we have to be looking for. Not to save the whole country, but just to save our communities. 100%. I mean, that's the, that's the whole, I mean, I've really been ever since you, you positioned, I mean, I heard the term before, but I've really started diving into it when you pitch like the whole K-shaped recovery and I'm, and watching how different communities, I mean, even, even where I'm at in Northern New Mexico, watching my community and seeing some of the good that, that this community has done and looking at other communities and seeing what's going on there. It's, it's very apparent even though that there's geographically eight, 20, 30, 40 miles apart, right? You know, kind of all the same in the same, all part of the same region, but very different outcomes from what happened in March of 2020 to where we are now in December of 2021, quickly approaching 2022. And, and I mean, that K-shaped recovery, it's, it's real. And that, and it makes me, this is just more of just like a gratitude, you know, because I try to practice gratitude because it's good. It makes me very fortunate to be a member of a community that actually cares and um, has the means to care too, because I know that there's a lot of, a lot of times like we talk about, okay, well, you need to be in this community or you need to be doing that. I mean, so much of like where, how, how set up you're going to be for this next decade really depends on two things. It's geography and economics, right? And it's crazy though, to like boil it down to two very simple things. Like where are you in the planet? Where are you in a state? Where are you in this country? And what are your economic means or that of the community? And um, this is just kind of like a, a feel good story, right? Um, but also a story of like government ineptitude and what happens like in, in, in government waste and, and um, inefficiency. But essentially what happened is like we needed a new fire truck. Right. And there's no money in the town's budget because like our total budget's like twelve million dollars. The fire department gets three of it. They deserve more. But, you know, there's just not enough money to go around to to replace this four hundred thousand dollar piece of apparatus. You know, so we have a town hall about it. We start taking donations within 72 hours. There's three hundred thousand dollars sitting in donations, you know, and that's super cool, right? That a community can come together to take care of itself. But I also know that not every community can just reach into their pocketbooks and fork up that type of thing. And so when you talk about choosing where you want to be in the communities that you want to be and, and how those choices that who you associate are going to have drastic outcomes over the next decade, I think about that every day. I mean, every day I look at where I am, what I'm doing, who's around me, what's going on. And I mean, God, Northern New Mexico, we're devoid of, if you, if you feel like civilization, this is not the place for you. you know? <laughs> it is, it is not. There's, there's no restaurants. There's one grocery store, two gas stations. Um, but now, if you like, if you like doing amphetamines out in the woods, perfect place to be. This is the place to be. And we got plenty. <laughs> Right? Don't have to go too far to get get out there, right? Nope. <laughs> you just open yeah. that front door and take off in your tidy whitey straight into the trees. 
And honestly, I think that's the most important thing anyone can do right now is not run out. Amphetamines in the woods? (laughs) 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 No, not run out there. But, uh, you know, it's choosing choosing places to live that really match and gel with your values. Because I think a lot of that's going to happen on steroids over the next eight years. It's already starting and I don't see it slowing down for any reason whatsoever. And, you know, people might say like, oh, man, but I can't pick up and move now. And hey, you're right. You know, in economics, most people think that just because something is imminent means it's right around the corner. Now, something is imminent economics, it's going to happen in like the next 10 years. Like you as a human being have time to react to it. And it's something that people should really be thinking about. They should have been thinking about over the past two years now, but even now there's yeah, there were a couple time. couple red flags over the last two years. Yeah, you guys out there. No, Just it's a all been few fine. tiny events. <laughs> <laughs> this is all fine, guys. Yeah. Uh, so minor geopolitical firestorms, not a big deal. <laughs> but it's, 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 it's democracy. Yeah, it's it's definitely the choice to make. Um, earlier today, I was talking to Paul. Um, he's uh, the co-host on my podcast, which is going to be coming out very soon. And you know, he's talking about how he's moving. You know, he has been in LA for work because of what he does. He has to be there. It makes perfect sense. But even he, even he, he's leaving as well. He had similar choice where, like, you know, an ungodly amount of money was put in front of him. All he had to do was just take the vaccine and, you know, he could go go do the job. And it's a job that he'd been working towards for a good chunk of his life. And finally, you know, it's ironic. You get there now and it's the worst time in the world because then the, the devil stands before you and is like, just sign it. Come on, just sign a piece of paper, bro. Just sign it. It's no big deal. And it's, it's the same shit. And, you know, ultimately it might look like a dumb choice in the short term, but in the long term, it's going to end up looking like a very smart choice. You know, the last thing I would ever want to do was to be in Germany in 1945. And, you know, your friend is like, hey, we've got to get over to the West. The Russians are coming. And you're like, I don't know, man. They offered me a pretty sweet gig as a baker. And you go and like the wall gets put up and you're stuck in East Berlin baking bread and eventually getting thrown in a gulag because he didn't bake enough. And, you know, like, was the money worth it? I don't know. And, you know, then when we think about the money to be in one of these places that we know is on like a downward spiral, Probably not worth it. Probably not in the long run. Yeah, we've definitely seen the effects of that already starting to play out. I mean, we're two of the three on this podcast are in Texas, and we've we've certainly seen that where just droves of people are coming in from these areas where they have uh, major lockdown issues and, and to the point where it's become oppressive and people finally throwing their hands up and been like, man, I can't even run my business. I went under this year because of the the state I live in. It's time for me to, to get to an area with more freedom. And um, there's a, a big boogeyman in texas of like oh they're all gonna come here and we're gonna start voting democrat in texas <laughs> i really think that uh that's probably oversimplifying it I, certainly there are people who don't connect those dots but i think uh hopefully the majority of those people realize exactly why they had to move away from uh whatever state it was they were retreating from you know you hope so and i actually told a story recently on my instagram that i'd love to expand on here if y'all are interested go for it so my family is from jamaica and um literally every single one of them except for my grandmother and one cousin left in the 70s and 80s um, because Jamaica was a British colony up until 1964. They got their independence. Um, it's sometime in December. I always forget um, the independence day. No, oh, Jesus, no, it's in August. They're going to, every single Jamaican is going to hate me for that. It's um, in one of those months, you know. <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely in August. It's definitely in August. But, um, so, you know, Jamaica becomes this independent country from the British in 1964. And within about six years there's a more or less communist party that's running 
against the incumbent government that's there. And, you know, they started pushing a lot of interesting tactics in the 70s. There were a lot of murders of like prominent businessmen, lawyers. There was a lot of looting, towns getting set on fire. There was political violence. There were basically gangs representing each political party who were fighting in the streets. Very similar to last year in a lot of different ways. And um, there eventually became an election where um, the party that was considered the conservative party at the time did not agree that an election was actually going to go on. So they didn't campaign. And the other party, which was kind of like the Socialist Communist Party, did campaign and they claimed it was a legitimate election. And they obviously ended up winning the election. And then they ended up taking power and the violence kind of escalated and just exploded. And more Jamaicans now, more people who were born in Jamaica now live outside of Jamaica than live in Jamaica. But if you ask any Jamaican who left Jamaica, why did they leave? What was going on? You will get a different answer depending on their own political beliefs. Um, there is no agreement whatsoever about what caused the problem. Everyone agrees there was a problem, but most anyone is going to tell you either it was like, oh, you know, these capitalists, they came in, they mashed up the country. Others say, they mash up Jamaica, man. Um, and then the other side, you know, there's people who were more inclined for, you know, trade, business and whatnot. And a lot of the companies that were in Jamaica kind of got chased out when the socialists end up winning power briefly. Um, and so people will claim that a lot of industry and jobs left Jamaica, or there was a lot of murder and targeting of wealthy people there, which there was. A lot of rich people were killed. Even people who were just who appeared rich, but weren't really rich. Like my dad's uncle owned a convenience store in Jamaica. You know, it was not rich by any sense of the word, but um, a gang broke in there and cut his head off, uh, beheaded him inside of his own store, burned the store down. Um, it's Jesus. really traumatic. It's something my dad rarely ever talks about. But, you know, when you ask why did an entire family pick up and leave? Yeah, that's why. And, you know, I imagine there's people in California who had similar, less extreme, but similar experiences and have left. And, you know, if you ask people in my family, they're going to hate me for saying this, but whatever. I would say half of them don't even understand what happened in Jamaica. Like, and I didn't live there. They did. And it sounds horrible for me to say this, but, you know, they like even, you know, a lot, a lot of members of my family want to move back to Jamaica. They always have this dream that like, oh, I'm just here for work just for a little while. Eventually I'm going to go back, you know, and, you know, Jamaica's kind of devolved into this kind of corrupt place where, you know, not a lot of business happens. There's, it's been really violent. The violence has kind of toned down in the last few years because of COVID, um, weird as that sounds. Um, <laughs> and it's still just not really a place you'd want to live in outside of like some of the tourist areas. And when we talk about Californians and other people leaving and going places, yeah, I, you know, you want to say there's going to be nuance and they know better, but I, from my experience, I'd be very surprised if a large majority knew better. Like I'm, I understand like 50% of people coming out, maybe even 55% might know better, but you break it down past that. I think it's just going to end up being a wash. Yeah. You might have a point, especially when you consider the areas they're moving into. It's not like they're moving into uh, some small farming community and, and taking up yeah. a, a spot that's closer to life. They're moving to like Austin, Texas and yeah. very liberal circles. DFW. And they're like, yeah, the rest of this rest of the state is fucked up. We should fix it, make it more liberal. Yeah, exactly. That's definitely something that ends up happening. Um, sorry about that siren going on outside. Um, <laughs> um sorry what was i saying uh yeah yeah when you look at you know where they moved you know you move to like the the heart of austin austin is this 
every city in Texas is blue outside of Fort Worth. So it almost is kind of like a redundant thing to say. It's a blue city. Like, are there red cities? I don't know any. Yeah, they don't really exist. It's kind of that same thing where uh, you hear that argument a lot of like, well, all this tax money's coming in from from everywhere around the nation. And then it gets decided where it's going to be spent by these large liberal cities. And, and people will point out, well, no, most of that money actually goes to states like Arkansas and, you know, the, these southern states that are are always red states. It's like, yeah, but they're not going to the boonies out there. They're going to the large liberal cities within those red states is where all that expenditure happens. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, also they do that math based on like, a, you know, how much federal taxes gets kicked in and how much gets uh, how much uh, money gets kicked back. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of games that get played there because in states that have like high state tax, they um, you get to write off a certain portion of your state tax expenditures on your federal tax expenditures. And so they'll do the math as if they paid the full federal tax, whereas like half of it's written off. Whereas if you go to a state where there's low taxes and people are writing off a lot less state taxes on their federal taxes, like, yeah, okay, it looks like we pay less taxes, but like how much, how many dollars actually gets the federal government from these states? Um, it's a lot less from blue states than they make it out to be. And it's a lot more from low tax states than they make it out to be. I say low tax states because there's a lot of red states that actually aren't low tax. And I definitely want to make the distinction there. That's interesting. I definitely did, was not privy to that myself. So I'm glad you said that. I'm going to have to do some, some research on that in the future, but that makes a lot of sense that, that they would be like the scuff of the numbers in order to be like, well, yeah, that's why it's, it's totally okay that we're spending all this money on these ridiculous programs. Yeah. And it'd be interesting to look at it because, um, you know, Trump put a cap on the salt tax, which is the state and local tax deduction. So you can't deduct more than $10,000 of state and local taxes, uh, whereas before it was uncapped. You know, however much you ended up paying state and local, you could write that off of your federal. And so I, I'm trying to remember what year the Trump um, salt tax cap came in. It was like 2017, 2018. And, you know, there were a lot of businesses that ended up moving from high tax states uh, because of that, even pre-COVID, like 20, 2018, 2019, 2020. And, um, you know, one thing Biden wants to do is put the, you know, uncap it again so that businesses can write off as much as they want in blue states. But I, I do wonder what the balance for that kind of stat looked like in, say, 2018 or 2019. Because, um, you know, most of the time when people are quoting that stat, they're quoting figures from 2014. And it's, you know, government rarely ever updates their figures on certain things. So I'd be very curious to see if that yeah, same stat was certainly true. don't update it while you're still hot and bothered about it. They update it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. There's a reason we, we will release uh, redacted CIA documents 50 years after the case when nobody gives a shit about it anymore. <laughs> right. Or like the vaccine stuff was supposed to come out in like 2075 or something. And it's like, yeah, yeah. cool. <laughs> Cool. When my grandkids are like fully chipped up, that's when they're going to release yeah, all right. the data. <laughs> makes you makes you feel really good about that. On on that topic, um, Lex Friedman. I'm a big fan of his podcast, and I'm a I'm a huge admirer of the guests that he's able to get on there. Um, but he had the the CEO of Pfizer on there not too long ago. Hmm. Um, I think the newest one, and Lex Friedman's definitely long form. They're all like three to five hours long. But this one was a very short one. It's like just an hour. And I'm sure that, you know, there's a prerequisite of the, you see, I was like, I'll give you an hour of my time, you know, because <laughs> um, I got billions of dollars to make selling antivirals and the fourth booster. So <laughs> you get an hour, but 
I did appreciate um, Lex for asking some pretty hard questions. And I took the whole interview with a grain of salt, right? I mean, this is a man who's, I can't think of the CEO's name off the top of my head, but this is a man who's being paid $21 million a year in salary, plus uh, probably a really hefty bonus for their antiviral getting uh, approved through the FDA. Um, so, you know, he has, he has a financial incentive to, to make everything sound good. But one of the questions that Lex asked him that was a very unsatisfactory answer to me was he asked, he's like, doesn't it strike you as odd and suspicious that the FDA wants that you guys asked the FDA to classify this data for till 2075, right? Like that's a long time to keep a lot of the things that the community around you guys would like to know. Um, and he's like, oh, well, regulators have all of the reasons that they need to have to, to do something like that. It's like, that's all the a, reasons they need. That's a little, it's like, come on, you're telling me that for $21 million, you can't come up with a better answer than, well, regulators just have a good record and they need to be trusted. It's like, oh, come on. Yeah, we gave the regulators all the reasons they needed. <laughs> all, yeah. all, all, uh, all 75 million of them. <laughs> mm -hmm. It is really disappointing, too, because you get a lot of these entities who have a face in front of them and they put them out into like an interview or something like this. And, you know, it's like you said, like, you know, legal gets in front of them and says, like, hey, you're only allowed to distribute this if you ask these questions and you keep it below this time limit, blah, 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 blah. And you get the most unsatisfying answers from people who have like the most resources right now. And when I say people, I just mean like the the flesh suit, you know, puppets that are walking in front of these large companies, not like real people, you know, because uh, like web, the, the, the way the web is going right now, like individuals feel like they're getting a lot more empowered. And you get these people who are like, truly genuine, who will sit down and give you like three hours of just unfiltered answers. And I feel like that's one of the easiest ways to tell if like the person you're talking to is like actually useful. Like if a political candidate goes on like Joe Rogan or like Tim Pool and will sit down for the whole three hours, you know, it already says a lot about them compared to, you know, when you get someone who's like, oh, I've got my CNN appearance. They asked me 18 questions. We trimmed it down to yeah. four and it's in a <laughs> six and a half minute segment of just nothing. Absolutely uh, nothing. Even uh, when Bernie went on Joe Rogan's podcast, it's like a hour and 10 minutes the shortest joe rogan podcast of all time and it's kind of like just what you said it's like you can really tell there are some things that they're like yes you can have this presidential candidate on but we're not talking about these things and you do have to ask these pre-designed questions that he has an answer loaded for and you mm -hmm. can tell as soon as that hour timer is out it's like all right get him out of there before anything gets said that's not supposed to be said we're on the campaign trail right now yeah exactly <clears throat> and it's it's kind of like there's this conformity aspect of people who will say what they're supposed to say and the other aspect of people who will just say whatever the fuck they're feeling in the moment, whether it's like good or bad. And the interesting thing about the internet is like finding those people now and figuring out like, how do I listen to this person? How do I get plugged in? How do I like get more of this? And I, I think over the next 10 years, we talk about like a whole K-shaped recovery. I think there's going to be the, the star of individuals is going to go up and the star of corporations is going to go down a lot. Like no one's going to tune in to hear what fucking Pfizer has to say about anything. No one gives a shit. But, you know, you get like um, Dr. Peter McCullough on Rogan's podcast recently. That shit was fascinating. Everybody wanted to listen to that. That was like three hours of like God tier content from someone who clearly knows his shit and is willing to answer whatever question gets thrown at him. 
And um, it'll be really fascinating to watch what corporations do as they lose this kind of uh, attention economy in a lot of different ways. That's a good point. I wonder how much you see them co-opt. I mean, that's something we saw. Uh, we're all kind of from that generation that got our news from John Stewart on Comedy Central. And you could, it was, people laughed at it and kind of pointed their fingers at these dumb millennials who were watching John Stewart every night for their news. But what it was that drew us all to it was that genuine nature. It was a guy up there who was talking about things he thought there was a problem. And John Stewart's got a different political view than I do and, and plenty of things I disagreed with him on. But he would get up there and as far as I could tell, at least tell the truth to the best of his summation. And that drew all of us to it. And then we saw what happened to it as it got corporatized and it got co-opted by the, the mm -hmm. cathedral, the, the corporate media apparatus. And now all those shows are run by the Trevor Noah's and the Samantha B's. And you turn it on for five, like every once in a while I'm watching South Park and I'm playing with my switch and I forget to change the channel and, and Noah comes on the TV and, and about five seconds in Trevor Noah, I'm like, Jesus Christ, I got to change the channel to anything else. This is fucking terrible. He's not funny. <laughs> They've completely lost mm -hmm. it. And not just the non-funny thing. They're, they're not funny, which is a big flaw in the most part. Some people probably, it's a, a subjective thing. Some people probably think Trevor Noah's funny. I'm sure they do. He sold a lot of tickets to telling comedy shows. Somehow there are people out there that think he's funny. But they also don't know what the fuck they're talking about politically. They're not connected. They don't mm -hmm. understand. And you hear them giving the exact same talking points as the CNNs and the Fox News, whatever apparatus they're co-opted by. They have all the exact same talking points and they say it with a smile and halfway uh, quotation marks making a joke because, again, none of them are that funny. Um, but I wonder how much you can expect that to be our future. How When's the the corporate Joe Rogan come out? Is he already out there and we just don't quite know his name yet? Stephen Colbert. <laughs> he's, already, he's already out there i mean like look at stephen colbert did you not i mean he's he is somebody who i used to look at the same way as john stewart right i was about to say like that's the most upsetting at, part of that you is could look at the colbert report you could look at the daily show and it's like okay these guys are doing their thing out there but then his his show now it's terrible i did the the new i i think i caught one episode and of course it was like the the worst episode but he had all of those all of the syringes dancing on scene on on the stage and it was the vax scene you know like trying to make and it's like dude steven what have you become like shame on you and i think that that goes back to what you're talking about earlier i'm sure he's paid an ungodly amount of money to be on that show, but look at ironic what you've done. that you've gone the, from uh, the Colbert Report to now pushing the Vax scene. <laughs> it's ironic that his hyper right wing persona that he sarcastically put on has become more palatable than his actual political views today. <laughs> Most definitely, man. But you know that there's that stupid quote from the Christopher Nolan movie. Uh, what? How does it go again? Oh, um, don't blow it. You either, you either die it. the hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And, you know, what I think is really meant by that is, you know, constantly, if you're not constantly refreshing your opinions on literally everything all the time and refreshing your source of information, you will definitely fall into that place where you are supporting the cathedral. You've become a member of it. The cathedral is like a, a growing monster just creeping across the ground. And we've got to constantly be running out into the woods and it's they're chopping down the trees. They're coming out. They're clearing out every single wild space that you might go out into and like rut in the mud like a pig. And they're turning it into, you know, some corporatized clean place for you. They're setting down tiles, they're setting down stones, they're putting the fence up. Um, and, you know, the door of the church is just getting closer to you. And I think that's something that's going to happen to everyone. Um, Joe Rogan, Tim Pool, whoever it is, like there's going to be a point when 
the content they're making is no longer at the edges of society, but at the center of society instead. And, you know, it's also a part of getting older too, because there's a point where like, we all kind of have to give up, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there, there's a point where it's like, all right, bro, just tell your kids where the guns are and just go do your thing, you know? And I, I'm not saying that to deride anyone who's listening, who's older. If you're older listening to this and you're, you're here, first of all, obviously you haven't given up and you're still in the fucking woods and we love you for it. But I would say that, you know, just in the same sense that all revolutionaries have like a job that they'd rather be doing a carpenter or something like that. Um, you know, there's only a finite, finite amount of time where we can really exist at like the bleeding edge of society, culture, interest, and where things are actually fun. And, you know, when we talked about grieving the past and living the future. It, the most important reason why you grieve the past and live the future is so that you actually don't regret this time right now. Like imagine like living right now in this most fascinating time where all these things are going on and being like preoccupied with the nostalgia of like 2016. Uh, you know, trying to like recreate the whole like Trump Twitter sphere or something like that. You know, you could miss like the most fascinating, like the fourth industrial revolution right fucking now. There's so much interesting stuff going on. And, you know, there's grifters who want to live in the past. And it's it's sad. But if you do that, you end up just constantly chasing this thing because you never actually lived it. Whereas if you like really live a moment, you put in like a good 10 fucking years in the wilderness. It's OK to let the church grow over you after that. Yeah, as long as you put out some of that time. Interesting concept that even the most fervent revolutionary wants to retire someday. So <laughs> there's a there's a point where even those convictions become like, what am I doing? I'm 60. It's time. I still want to make this money because I want I want to pay for Joe Rogan's manor, but I'm tired of fighting the good fight. Let's just have some fucking cathedral guests on and cash those checks for the last 20, 40 years. Exactly. There comes a point in time when I want to teach my kids how to run a three man ambush in the woods, but I don't want to actually run it anymore. I'm just like, here, look, here you go. There's a silencer I've got for my gun. Hopefully I get one of those soon. We'll see. I've been putting it off. Uh, <laughs> you know, I just want to like hand them the guns and be like, this is how you run this shit. You know, you're, you know, I don't know what age is good age for like a kid to be doing that. Obviously it's 16, 17. No, but like, you know, your kids are like 24. They should be at the point where like they're pushing culture and they're finding the woods and they're like, I want my kids to come tell me about whatever weird fucking thing is happening in like the free section of the metaverse <laughs> where everyone's still having a good time. <laughs> you know, tell me about the, uh, the uncoded wilderness that you guys have snuck into. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I want to be hearing that stuff. But for oh, now, I love it. It's, it's definitely our time right now. You know, we've got a good, 10, 15 years to like really push culture and be part of it and eventually wait for the corporate versions of ourselves, the, the corporate versions of ourselves to take our space. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And we're headed that way. That's what, that's what this is all about. That's what we're here for. That's what you're starting a podcast for. By the way, you didn't actually plug your podcast earlier. What's the name of it? Where do we find it? Have we got all that figured out yet? Uh, we do. We do. So the website doesn't is, is down right now, but the actual podcast is called Thunderpunk Radio. We have an Instagram page. It's Thunderpunk Radio. Um, it's a great place to find it. We'll be posting the very first episode tomorrow. I mean, I'm going to post it at some point. I say tomorrow. Maybe I'll post it tonight at like 4 a.m. when I wake up for my next nap. <laughs> and you don't have to worry about that with our audience because we have well conditioned them to not expect uh, weekly podcasts. They come out when they come out. <laughs> Perfect. That's exactly what I'm trying to, to con them. condition my eyes. <laughs> and to be honest, by the time people hear this, actually, this should be out. So go to the Instagram page, Thunderpunk Radio. 
we will post it. We're going to be on Anchor. Um, I'm working on getting it onto Spotify, but Anchor is the first start. Uh, we also downloaded the video. I don't know if we're going to put a video out on BitChute or something, but if we do, we'll let you know. So by the time you're hearing this, go to Thunderpunk Radio Instagram. You can find wherever it is I put the podcast. It'll be up. And what's the, what do you guys talk about on the podcast? So it's myself and Paul. Paul is a firearms expert who is, um, you know how, um, what's his face? Alex, not Alex Trebek. What's the guy's name? Alex Baldwin. Alec Baldwin, you know how there's like a person on stage who's like the um, the armor and control of like the mm-hmm. guns and whatnot. Yeah, the um, murderer on that set. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We no yeah. no we call them accomplices, Logan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, accessories heard to murder. Mr. Baldwin's testimony right. yet because he, right. he doesn't know who's accessories. Accessories. <laughs> accessories. But yeah, that that's his job. He's done that for a few like really big films that people have seen in theaters. Um, and he also, you know, deployed in Iraq. He's got a lot of really great information when it comes to guns. And then I'm taking the other side of it, talking about finance, and we're trying to mesh it together and help people understand ways to like be self-sufficient and kind of be on the upswing of the K-shaped recovery and not the downswing. That's that's really the whole goal. That's some good information to have right there. Against the mob is eagerly anticipating our invite to your podcast. We would love to have you. On. Absolutely. I'm just kidding, man. Hey, don't joke, man. I said I'm serious. We'd love to have you. I was like kidding I'm about sure. putting you on the spot. We're down to come on. Yeah, well, hey, I don't ever lie. Like literally ever, man. I'm dead serious. I'd love to have you all on. And I haven't talked about it with Paul, but I'm sure he's down too. Uh, we have a lot of space we're gonna need to fill. And you know, you guys are both cool. Y'all can talk forever. And I'd love to pick your brains on y'all side of everything because yeah i come here as a guest and you guys have all these questions prepared for me you're hospitable you're treating me like a great person i'd love to do this on the other side and just see you know exactly how much juice i can squeeze from y'all for content (laughs) (laughs) well i'm glad you did pick up on our long-windedness already that is certainly something that we uh didn't have to practice that much on there were a lot of things audio wise recording wise schedule wise fitting our lives around it that we're still trying to get good at uh, but the being able to talk for an hour doesn't seem to be a problem. We're very long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's not a problem for me either. Um, as people <laughs> will tell you excitingly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think that's about it. When we're brushing up on two hours here, is there anything we haven't covered, Matthew? You want to get into? I mean, there's let God, there's so many things yeah, we haven't so covered. We but I cover. think that <laughs> I think for just for the sake of like you know time and um, my uh, my granddad and father were preachers and something that I always appreciated from my granddad saying that the mind can only take in for what the butt can sit. And so he, he was, he was always, he was always short and concise with his sermons for that reason. You know, it's like, yeah, no reason to beat the Bible over him, hit him with 30 minutes of good material and let's go to lunch. <laughs> I do so, think any good preacher in Texas knows the time of Cowboys kickoff and has you home at that appropriate hour. Oh, most definitely. Matt. Just, yeah. <laughs> any, any, any preacher worth the salt definitely knows the time the Cowboys kick off. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think that's um, I think that's a pretty good conversation. Again, dude, thank you so much for coming on. I've really appreciated uh, the conversation that we've had on air and off the air. I always enjoy picking your brain and talking to you um, on Instagram. Um, if any of you guys are wondering, I am the poor soul that you can sponsor for ten dollars a month to keep me on <laughs> this Christmas. Uh- <laughs> 
Yeah, at least a few people are going to pick up on that, man. I love that. I was listening to I, I was listening to it that morning at breakfast, and it was stuck in my head for like two hours later. And of all the terrible songs to get stuck in your head, I was just like humming along as it's going on my day. Um, so I hope you guys appreciate that inside humor for those that actually do pick up on it. Um, I am. And if you really do want to sponsor me, I'm more than happy for you to pay for my Spotify without ads. However, that's why Flirt Cheap is financially savvy, because he pays for Spotify with ads. Real quick question. Do you pay for like Hulu and Netflix with ads as well? Is that is that the key? To your financial uh, successes, you just suffer through is ads. This, this your I'm, cup of coffee that the elites tell us, so like you could be a millionaire too if you didn't get right? Starbucks just every morning. Toss away the avocado, man. No, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a huge mooch. I'm the worst mooch in the world. Um, I like literally just insisted on pirating, like way after pirating wasn't cool anymore. And then one of my friends like finally like beat me down. She's like, here is my Netflix password. Just watch it. <laughs> you don't need to steal movies anymore. And this was like, I don't know, 2018, I think. Um, you would so download a, a vaccine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, they got to give me the chip first and then I'm golden. <laughs> but yeah, now I'm a, me- I'm a mooch. The only thing I pay for is Amazon and uh, I pay for a few sub stacks and like Tim Pool's thing, but I I don't pay for anything else. I, I can't be asked, man. I'd rather just steal what I can and just, uh, I'm just busy anyways. There's a fuck ton of books over there I need to read. Like it's just, I hear you they'll, there. they'll get my money later on. Definitely fill that one. I keep stacking the books up faster and I'm reading them. Oh God. I have so many. I have like 50 books that I've ordered over the last six months. It's like, oh, I'll get to these. And it's like, (laughs) well, now they're just piling up and it's like they look really good on, you know, on the bookshelf. Looks looks like I look look smart. (laughs) Right. I had to get a second bookshelf too, because it was just too much. I got like one out in the kitchen and one here in the living room. And um, The, the red and the unread section. No, they're they're both half and half, man. I say half and half. That's aspirational. They're both twenty five seventy five, man. It's um, but you know, the, the most fascinating thing about it too is like, you know, you think you're being dumb by like buying books ahead of time, and then um, before I got banned on Twitter, I was like talking to someone and they wanted to see like a photo of a specific book, and I just took a photo of it on the bookshelf, and like apparently the book that was next to it was like banned off of Amazon after I bought it, and now it sells for like three hundred fucking dollars. And so I started just like looking through some of the more controversial books I have. And it's like actually a viable investment strategy. Just buy stuff that Amazon doesn't like. And then eventually it's out of print and you can sell it for way more. They go ahead and corner the market for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. So it's, it's, it's weird. There is a kind of like an urgency to it. And I actually don't feel any certain way about buying a book and not reading it for a little while. <laughs> no, that, that makes me feel a lot better about my, uh, my apathy towards keeping up with my reading. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Uplifting in the evening. I'm gonna go to, I'm gonna sleep better tonight knowing that. Yeah, maybe you can afford that Spotify now. <laughs> See, this is what I'm giving you here. <laughs> sleep, sleep better right next to those five books on my nightstand. <laughs> oh, that's right. My nightstand's covered in books too. Even like my computer desk that's next to me, there's three books over here. Like they're literally everywhere, dude. It's horrible. Yeah. I've got a couple in arm's reach too that I'm sure if I was to open it up, it'd be like the first time it'd be that fresh spine crack, you know, Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> but they look good. They look good here. Oh, most definitely. And when I'm he opens the Lorax, it has that crinkling sound again, but it's a different reason. 
Hey, dude, don't right? shame, don't shame my kinks. All right, it's 20, <laughs> it's we're damn near into 2022. All right, I will do as I please, and I will not be lectured by some cisgender white male. Okay, <laughs> it's about damn time. I feel it, man. Raider Rash, stand up. <laughs> we got it. Hell yeah. yeah. This is this has been absolutely fantastic, but I know that it is getting late in your world and you have been up for some time. So go ahead and plug us, uh, plug yourself, uh, tell us everything about. It. I mean, you got a lot of really interesting things that I think some people would get some real value out of. So um tell us all of it. Most definitely. If you want to hear me post, sorry, if you want to read me post random things about uh politics, geopolitics, trade, finance, crypto, money. Uh, the Federal Reserve, the Collapse of Society, uh, great ideas for things you should do. Follow me at Flirt Sheep on Instagram. If you want to read that in even longer form with more links, photos, and more engaging content, and uh, maybe pay 10 bucks for a month for it or not, up to you, you can go to flirtcheap.substack.com. Right now, everything is free until January 16th. So you can just subscribe for free and just follow along for almost a month. You know, it's a good month of free content still left for you. And um, other than that, there's also the Thunderpunk Radio podcast. Please make sure to check out Thunderpunk Radio on Instagram. Um, you can see where we've hosted our first episode and definitely give that one a listen as well. Um, thank you all so much. I appreciate the time. Yeah, appreciate you coming on, man. Glad to have you. And go listen to this man, everybody. Take these words with you. Come learn about economics, about defending yourself, about the impending apocalypse, and maybe even some good ointments for rashes. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah most definitely the definitely year. had a bag of sorority girl in lubbock texas because <laughs> <laughs> that's, oh that's that's the real value that uh, the substack is <laughs> going to give you <laughs> who oh, cares about definitely. being financially savvy and you know investing in crypto and hedging yourself against the impending apocalypse nah it's all about bagging sorority girls. Mm-hmm. It's a- you, want, you want a homemade cure for crabs once the Walgreens goes down and the final CBS <laughs> is out of business? You're going to have to subscribe to find out. <laughs> <laughs> right on, man. Hey, well, thank you very much for um, for joining us for Cheap. We, we really appreciate your time. We really appreciate the conversation and hopefully look forward to many more um, across many different podcasts and many different platforms in the future. For now, it is Logan Carpenter, Matt Billingsley coming to you um, at whatever random iteration that we get out podcasts. I would like to call out Jamie Kane at Liberty Uninterrupted. We did record a Liberty Orgy number four, and he still is bogarting that audio. Okay, so if you guys listen to that, please hit him up in his DMs, call him a piece of shit, and tell him that he needs to release (laughs) that damn audio so that we can release an episode we have public hangings on for that one and it was a really good conversation you can find us at instagram facebook and twitter at some sort of iteration of against the mob um i hope you guys have a very lovely holiday um merry christmas to you whatever you celebrate happy saturnalia right whatever (laughs) whatever whatever really floats your boat i don't care um i am going to release this on the 24th um so this will be coming out tomorrow because i do want to give you guys uh some sort of interesting conversation hopefully to enjoy when you are checked out at your family um, gathering and all of the normies no longer want to hear about your Liberty talk and all of your nonsense with crypto. And they say, Hey, how's my little trader doing? You know? <laughs> so, so when, so when you're finally being harassed by your family and you're tired of it, please tune in. And um, as always, 
Thank you very much for joining us. We greatly appreciate you. Much love. Happy New Year's. We'll see you in 2022. And remember, guys, if we fight against the mob, we people over politics. We'll see you next time.